Cinemodities, late night movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And I ain't your boy. I won't be playing Monopoly with you. GameCube, Rubik's Cube, (laughs) anything with a cube, I ain't playing it. This week on Cinemodities, we threw you a whole new curveball. Because in these last few weeks, when we've done some bonus episodes where Zach has not been around, I have been the one to not even do the intro. I've been like half-assing the intro on some of them. But even though he said he was Zach, he's not. He was, he was pulling our legs, folks. <laughs> we have a special guest this week to discuss a personal, uh, I think to both of us, a personal American masterpiece. We'll get into that a little later on. His name is Justin. Justin, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So Justin is a first-timer on this podcast. Uh, we're going to have to get a lot of crazy opinions from him as we go on. Uh, but Justin, uh, are, are you a human? Are you on the planet Earth? Are you uh, not a robot? Today. Today I am. Can you complete this capture real quick? <laughs> like Rob says, I, I am a human. I have a job. I have hobbies. And I just so happen to know Rob, which is why I'm here with you today. Oh, Yes. So, of course, before we can jump into the actual discussion of of this movie in particular, which is going to be a doozy, we do have to say, well, why is Zach not here? And what's this nonsense, it not even being a bonus episode? It's one of our main episodes, and Zach's not here. Well, of course, Zach is away working on the true meaning behind this podcast. And this is what I love that right now I get to just dump on Justin, because this is the thing I don't think he knows. This is not just a movie podcast where we discuss media. We are actually treating every episode of Cinemodities as a board meeting because Zach and I, and I don't know if, I don't think you know this, Justin, Zach and I own and operate what is known as the Cinemodities Restaurant. We, oh. yes, we, when we were running this restaurant, we got so bored by the fact that we had to have regular old board meetings. That's why they were called board meetings. <laughs> and we decided, well, let's spice things up. Let's every week discuss TV shows, music videos, movies, you know, whatever. And that's going to guide our, our hearts and minds through how we are going to own, operate this restaurant, what's going to go on the menu, what events we have, and things like that. Now, just to recap for Justin, because I know our audience is well aware of this, uh, the restaurant is in Times Square in Manhattan. It's where Mars 2112 used to be. It is finite on the outside, but an infinite void on the inside. Uh, it takes a ferry to get to. It's so infinite that some people have become trapped in there, and they kind of live in there. Um, and it's totally real. That's all you need to know right now. <laughs> when we get to the, uh, the end of this discussion, when we talk about our snacks, uh, I think Justin will learn more about the restaurant, uh, because we also have a a business offer that was emailed to us about the restaurant that I will have to discuss. But, of course, that's why Zach is not here. Anytime Zach is not on Cinemodities, it's because he is hard at work at the restaurant. And right now, he's there dealing with a plethora of things. Since we've remained open during quarantine, because we are an essential service, because people live (laughs) in the restaurant, because they cannot find the exit, Um, The customers have started to get a little more ambitious with their orders. 
You know, it kind of was the people who ordered stuff, they would always take the safe route because we have real food, but we also have some things that you probably shouldn't ingest. For example, customers have started ordering uh, our tab with the shot of Drano in it. Uh, the, the, <laughs> the too much worm sandwich, which is a sandwich with just way too many worms in it. The two-day-old coyote dish. Justin, do you know what two-day-old coyote is? I, I do not. It's better than three-day-old coyote. That's what it is. <laughs> and the other thing is vitamin C pasta. You might say, well, what vitamin C pasta, what is that? That is not pasta infused with vitamin C. It's pasta made in the Chernobyl region, which is dangerously radioactive. So that's where the Chernobyl... Justin and I had a quick Chernobyl talk before we started recording. This is where Chernobyl comes up. So needless to say, we're getting some orders for the things that people should technically not be eating, but um, one of the mottos of the restaurant, and it's actually in big letters in a lot of places of the restaurant, no liability. So <laughs> Zach is doing some damage control, and that's why he's not here today. But we have Justin instead for a movie that I think, even if Zach was here we would not get the amount of love for it that we're going to get from Justin. And that movie is none other than 2002's Like Mike. What, what? I'm pumped. Are what, you pumped? What? Oh, I'm hyped. <laughs> so this is actually a part of, uh, of this month's, uh, the month of May, our series is the, uh, the Rappers as Actors. And every movie we're discussing has a rapper in either an incredibly minor role or, as in this week, the main role. And our rapper this week is none other than Lil Bow Wow. Apparently, and Lil... he was Lil Bow Wow back then. He Absolutely. wasn't Bow Wow yet. Exactly. And apparently, I didn't know this until my research for this recording. His real name is Shad Moss. So you know, I don't take that as you will. <laughs> okay. So I, I guess while we're on, the, the, that's why this movie got picked. It has a, it's a, it's a movie I've, I've wanted to discuss ever since I thought about it again. You know almost 18 years after I saw it or something like that. But Lil Bow Wow is the lead in it. I don't really know much about him as a musician. I never listened to him hardcore, you know, back in the day. Do you have any experience with Lil Bow Wow? You know, I know the radio hits, you know, like you. The rest are escaping me. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but yeah, I've I've listened to some little bow wow, you know, when I get into my my nineties, early two thousands moods, I'll I'll throw on some some of the old school bow wow stuff. Yeah, nothing. It's nothing not wrong bad. With that. It's not bad. And he's. I think, um, you know, before we get into the, the total discussion of this movie, I think there's one thing that we can say for certain. Like, not subjectively in terms of our love for this movie. Objectively, Lil Bow Wow is having the time of his life in this movie. Like, I think when we watched it together, I said something like at one point, I'm like, he's just having fun. Like, he's a little kid having fun in this movie. And that's really great to see. Yeah, this movie's a good time. It's definitely a good time, and Lil Bow Wow's enjoying himself. Oh, yeah. So, so I guess the, the next question becomes, well, how, how did I rope Justin into this? Uh, Justin he said he was a human being with a job, with hobbies. One of those hobbies is not regularly podcasting. 
And uh, so I had to rope Justin into this. Rope is probably too strong a term. Um, Justin and I made a trade. Uh, we watched this movie together, and he agreed to come on this recording in return for me playing him in a game of chess, which did turn into two games of chess because it was almost fate that we did not know that this movie involved a chess-playing villain until we started watching it after this agreement was made. It's almost divine intervention. <laughs> it was destiny. Destiny, yes. That's a good way to put it. And um, so we did it. We watched it together. Um, we played chess afterwards while a Cinemondi's favorite played in the background, Amazon Women on the Moon. Um, <laughs> but, but with that being said, I think the next thing comes into our context I believe, and you know, I'll, I'll give the chance for Justin to say it, but I believe this is something we both saw when we were younger. And I know I definitely caught it, I think, as a TV movie. I, I, I don't think I saw this in theaters. I think I saw it as a TV movie maybe, you know, whenever it hit that in 2003, the year after its release. And just as a little kid, not into basketball, not into, you know, anything that this movie, the themes of this movie is really about, I was just like... This is goofy. This is wacky. This is fun. And I liked it. But, you know, for years, I just completely forgot about it. And it really took this podcast for me to, um, for some reason, think of it. And honestly, uh, spoiler alert, Crispin Glover is in this movie. That's most likely why I tried to find it, because we love Crispin Glover on Cinemodities. Did you have a similar experience? Did you see it when you were younger? I did. I don't think I ever saw it in the movies, but I know I've seen it multiple times as a kid. Always had good fun with it. I remember me and my me and my cousins used to be playing the the we're playing basketball song because they were <laughs> they were really into sports. My cousins, but you know, I think I liked the sports movies as a kid better than I enjoyed actually playing basketball and hockey. Okay. So. Yeah, so so that's interesting. I'm trying to think of what channel this would have been on because the the producers of this movie um, are of course uh, NBA Entertainment which you know is a sign of quality, an NBA entertainment kids movie, perfect, and 20th Century Fox. Of course, when this movie was released, 20th Century Fox had not yet been bought by Disney, which Disney now owns, 20th Century Fox. So I don't know, maybe this would have been played on like a, uh, like maybe a Cartoon Network, maybe a USA or a TBS as like a mid-afternoon movie. I, I can't imagine this would have been on like Comedy Central or anything. But the the question that I have right now, thinking of, of Disney now owning this movie, the question is, can you watch this on Disney Plus? Well, that's a good question. I would bet yes. I, I So there's a lot of things that Disney got in their acquisitions of Fox and, and many companies, but they have a reputation for burying some things. You know, for example... Um, uh, you know, there's uh, the David Lynch movie, The Straight Story, which is not weird. It's a very heart-wrenching movie. Um, they they own that, but they didn't put it on there almost immediately. Uh, I think it's coming on there later, actually. That's an update. Um, I just went to the Disney Plus website, and literally every link I see on there is by us. And so I, since I can't quickly find a search thing, I will leave that for possibly a correction in post. But that is the question. If there's anywhere to watch this movie... It would now be Disney Plus. I'm seeing it on Amazon Prime. Oh, okay, okay. But I'm not not seeing Disney Plus. So that that is a a an interesting concept. We can watch it on Prime. Oh boy. 
Got it's got its good old yeah oh yeah you can rent e- it for three ninety nine. <laughs> Even YouTube's selling it. Oh wow okay okay so it's it's still it's still out there it's still available for sure which is a good thing because I don't think that uh, this movie should go buried I think that this is and tell me if if I'm wrong when I say this to both of us an American masterpiece a masterpiece <laughs> of children's film. <laughs> There is so much nostalgia in this movie. I can't. I don't even know where to start. I would never want to see this get buried. Oh yeah. And seeing it again, I appreciate it that much more. The ambition, the brilliance. So apparently, you can buy a used DVD of this on Amazon for a dollar and fifty-one cents. Now that's a bargain. And here we go. Breaking news: if you if you still only have a VHS player. You can get it on VHS for twelve ninety nine. <laughs> That's a relic of history if you have this on VHS. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, all right. All all that aside, we we're talking about like Mike. This is something that we have the pure nostalgia bug for. Uh, it's not 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 anything new to Cinemodities, of course. Um, but I I just hope that uh, when our our audience tunes in or when they look through the uh, Spotify or Stitcher or Podbean, wherever they're listening to us, um, and they look at the newest episode, they see the words like Mike, and they go, really? In a good way. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to give a little... Uh, there's there's some stuff about this movie, about the um, the background of this movie, the people behind the camera, I should say, and in front of it, that are very interesting to me. Um, the first is the director. So the director is a guy named John Schultz, who... You know, has not done much else that's noteworthy. Like, there's he doesn't he never had that breakout hit where it's like, oh, that's the guy who did whatever. Like, I think he did um, the Honeymooners, the the movie version with um, Cedric the Entertainer, which I never saw. I think he did some other kids stuff that nothing really rang a bell to me. But there actually was something that he directed that we have discussed on this podcast before, and it is the 2016 Disney Channel original movie remake of Adventures in Babysitting. So just just for context, Justin, and if our audience doesn't remember, because it was last year, we did an episode on the original, the 1986, 87, I believe, uh, movie Adventures in Babysitting, because it is one of my favorite movies of all time. And we found out that there was a remake on the Disney Channel. And I'm not kidding you, Justin. They called it a Disney Channel original movie. Oh, but it, but it was a remake. <laughs> oh boy, I had a lot of problems with that. But this was the same—the same guy who directed Like Mike. Fourteen years later, went on to direct the remake of one of my favorite movies of all time, which I still have not seen the remake, and I have no reason to see the remake because the original is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so I found that very interesting. Um, like we said, this was two thousand two. It actually came out on July third, and. Surprisingly, it grossed $62.3 million against its $30 million budget. So it probably was profitable. The $30 million is, of course, its production budget. We don't have the advertising amounts, which is why, you know, we have the good old rule of thumb. Movie needs to make 1.5 to 2 times its production budget to be profitable. And it did. It made a little over two times. So this movie actually might have made money. And hell, it did make enough money to produce a direct-to-video sequel that we will talk about later. (laughs) (laughs) 
with of course as, as Justin loves uh uh budget bow wow <laughs> budget bow wow man yes. if they had bow wow for the second one that would have been in theaters oh of course of course i don't know what he was doing i think the sequel was 4 years later i'm not sure if i couldn't find if he was offered it but but we'll we'll get to that we have to discuss the original before the sequel of course <laughs> so the thing that really stood out to me when I when I found this movie and rewatched it because I thought of it for this series, this you know rappers as actors. Oh, you got you got Bow Wow in Like Mike, like that goofy kids movie. When I rewatched this, I was kind of blown away by the star-studded cast. Of course, you got Bow Wow in the main role, but then you got you know famous child actors Jonathan Lipnicki and Brenda Song as his friends. Brenda Song, you can make the argument that she's not in this movie because she has, what, 17 words to say total? <laughs> they did not give her many lines, unfortunately. Yes. You got the bully, played by Jesse Plemons, who grew up to be Todd in the last few seasons of Breaking Bad, who's oh playing the God. same dickhead character, and he, <laughs> and he looks exactly the same, just taller. Identical. <laughs> Completely identical. You got the head of the orphanage played by Crispin Glover, one of the greatest actors ever. You got the coach of the L.A. Knights, the team that Calvin ends up playing for, played by Robert Forster, who's been in everything from my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie, Jackie Brown, to, you know, the, the good old uh, Disney's knockoff of Star Wars, uh, The Black Hole back in the 70s. And then even he was in Twin Peaks The Return before uh, he passed away. You got the, the most minor nun character... Sister Teresa, played by Anne Mira, Ben Stiller's mother. And then, to top it all off, the manager for the basketball team is Eugene Levy and his eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's amazing how many people they got in this, in this damn movie, right? Not to mention all the NBA players. Tracy Reynolds, he had a lot of screen time. Oh, Jimmy Kimmel had a special appearance. Jimmy Kimmel, uh, Rich Eisen is a commentator. And yeah, the NBA players, we got Steve Nash, Dirk Nowitzki, um, Jason Kidd. The list goes on and on. I, I think there was, there was so many that I couldn't even recognize, you know? <laughs> yep, yep. Vince Carter, Allen Iverson. Man, it just keeps going. This was in – this was just insane. This This was – like the the star-studded aspect of this was mind-blowing to me. And the only thing that can trump how mind-blowing the cast of this movie is is how mind-blowing the internal logic of this movie is. <laughs> so I guess we can't talk about how insane the concept of this movie is till we give the plot summary. And I think the, the log line of this movie is very much uh, an orphan, loves basketball. Calvin Cambridge, played by Lil Bow Wow, He's, he's an orphan in L.A., he loves basketball, and he gets from donations or wherever a, uh, a pair of sneakers that is only implied to have been owned by Michael Jordan. They, they never confirm that to any extent. It was very subtle. His leap in logic there was profound, to yes, say the, the least. One of the, one of the shoes, the tongue of it says MJ, and so he's like, and and I think, you know, Ann Mirror, the nun, says, oh, whoever donated them says that uh, they were owned by a basketball player. And he's like, which one? That's and she right. goes, a tall, bald one. And it's like that. Well, the guy who dropped them off said they used to belong to some famous basketball player when he was a kid. Um, which, which basketball player? <laughs> you know, the, the tall, bald one. That does not narrow anything down. <laughs> 
<laughs> and this was enough for Lil Bow Wow Calvin to put his life on the line for these sneakers. Yes, because when he mentions Michael Jordan, uh, Jesse Plemons, the bully, takes those shoes and throws them, ties the laces together and throws them over a power line. So they get hung up there, and Calvin's just like, man, I gotta get these shoes. I gotta get these shoes. And as he's trying to get them, during a thunderstorm, of course, <laughs> the it's it's not the shoes exactly. It's like the, the transformer on the pole gets hit by lightning, and the lightning travels through the electrical wire into the shoes, and you know that something becomes magic because, one, they get struck by lightning, and when he's holding them on the ground— the electricity can still be seen flowing through them. <laughs> Almost as subtle as the faded MJ initials on the tongue of the sneakers was the magical lightning just barely going through the shoe. <laughs> yes. And then, um, so we don't, it's it's kind of the, the, one of the other leaps of logic or just the, maybe not a leap of logic, the movie just pushing the audience through. Is it because they're MJ's shoes? Is it because they got struck by lightning? Is it because of both? Doesn't matter. When Calvin puts these shoes on, he is a professional basketball player. <laughs> <laughs> he is MJ-level basketball yes. player. And then the rest of the movie is going through um, his uh, time as the, the L.A. Knights, the fictional team made up for this movie, finding out about this. He gets signed. Uh, he gets signed as first as a PR stunt. You know, a, a 13-year-old kid is on a professional basketball team. Um, but then he, it turns out that he actually is really good because of the shoes, so he gets signed to the team. And I would say the the, the main concept of the movie is his relationship with the uh, Tracy Reynolds, with our other main character from the L.A. Knights. Um, yep. And also Eugene Levy's desire to have a job next season. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, I gotta pinch myself. One more win, and we're in the playoffs. And you know what that means for every man in this organization? Bonuses! Contract renewals. We all have jobs next year. And the way that relationship is introduced is great because, you know, of course, through selling candy. Well, well let's we, we have to back up just a little bit here because Calvin and his buddies are forced to sell candy in the parking lot. Uh, yes. Of the Staples Center. Of the Staples Center. So, so Crispin Glover tells them it's for the group home for the orphanage. But then as we get that great scene when Calvin talks to the coach. The coach is like, here's 20 bucks. Does that get me a candy bar? And Calvin's like, I don't even know if the money goes to the group home. <laughs> hey, coach. I bet you gave you some candy out of that one. Tough loss. You've seen it up close. You had it won. You diagrammed the perfect play. Sure, Harrison didn't set the low pick, but why didn't Tracy pass the ball? Son, that is one for the ages. Hey, wait a minute. It's 10 o'clock, it's a school night. Do your parents know you're out this late? I'm an orphan. And I'm out here selling candy so that I can raise money for the group home. Oh. Listen, how about this, uh... Can I get me a chocolate bar? I can't charge you, coach. I don't even know if the money really goes to the to the group. 
Absolutely. While Crispin Glover is playing himself in chess in the car, Calvin gets a one-on-one with the coach of the LA Knights, who so generously gives him tickets yes. <laughs> to a game. Oh, yeah. And, and at that game, by sheer coincidence, I don't think there's any magic in this part, his, <laughs> his specific seat gets called for a 60-second game during halftime between him and Tracy Reynolds, the, who I, I take is not only the other pro, uh, protagonist in the movie, but I imagine he's the star of the team, it seems. Yes. And, of course, Tracy Reynolds gets his ass kicked by Magic Sneakers. <laughs> oh, he gets schooled. Calvin does the Michael Jordan dunk from the the foul line and everything in this scene. Th- this is this is where it it's it sets in that you know sure kids movie sneakers get hit by lightning makes him a good basketball player fine I I totally accept that premise. The thing that <laughs> I have trouble swallowing is that this is before he signed into the team when he does this one on one with Tracy. He he jumps. He leaps like 30 feet into the air, or however the, how tall a, a regulation a professional basketball hoop is, and nobody questions this. Like, like literally, the manager, Eugene Levy, is just like, people liked this, let's, let's do this. And then even when, you know, they go to Crispin Glover and they're like, we want to sign him to the team, nobody questions it. He can dunk. He's in a dunk competition later in the movie. He can he can like do yep. everything a professional basketball player can, everything that Michael Jordan can, and there's no concern about that. <laughs> like even at the end when the sneakers get busted and he's like, Tracy, the sneakers were magic. Tracy's like, this ain't no time for jokes. And it's like, are you do you fucking really believe this little kid can play basketball this way? <laughs> And not to mention the great missed opportunity of how does he get down from the hoop when he's hanging from it? Without breaking his legs, yeah. (laughs) Four foot tall, low bow wow. (laughs) Yeah, they never show that. And then even – it doesn't stop there because at the end of the movie when when our, our third act, you know, kind of climax is coming to fruition, Crispin Glover is just like he has, he goes to Jesse Plemons and he's like, is it is it really the shoes that are letting him play that well? And Jesse's like, I guess. And Crispin Glover <laughs> just believes it and believes it so much that he implicitly tells sports bookies about it. And they believe it too. <laughs> like there's no questioning at all in this movie. Everyone's just like, oh yeah, Magic Sneakers. Yeah, we've been there. <laughs> because For a, a hundred grand he bets on these shoes. So, He's so convinced. Yes. I have it on good authority that Calvin Cambridge is going to have an off game. So, so here, here's my concern. Excuse me, Mr. Williams. It's possible. My dentist, Frank Nister, said that I might be able to find you here. Nister. The guy with the E. Um, my name is uh, Stan Biddleman. What can I do for you, Mr. Biddleman? I'm looking for a uh, sports broker. Uh, to make a sizable investment in the Raptors to beat the Knights. Why are you speaking in code? You want to place a bet? How much? $100,000. That's a lot of money. You good for it? Of course I am. What makes you so confident? Well, let's just say I have a good feeling that Calvin Cambridge is going to have an off game. Tell me more. 
I know we're getting ahead to the end of the movie, but I think this this goes with the logic of the movie. Once Crispin Glover believes that these shoes are magic and whoever wears them can play basketball phenomenally, his idea is to, you know, kind of quickly make a bet and get a lot of money. That's fine. Why is he also not like, I need to find a kid I can control and get him to wear these shoes? Like, he seems short-sighted, you know? Like, why, why, when he goes to the bookies and he's like, assume, we assume that he goes, you know, I know that Calvin Cambridge has magic sneakers. I've stolen the magic sneakers. The team's going to lose. Why wouldn't the bookies even be like, you need to start putting these on kids and putting them in games that we can bet on and make money? (laughs) Like, this seems like a continual opportunity, right? For someone playing chess, you can tell he's a chess novice and not a chess master. (laughs) The way he makes his sports bets. Even though he has like 16 boards all around his his room, his office. (laughs) (laughs) He reads books. He plays himself. You think he's going through all the motions, but boy, does he have a lot to learn. Oh, that's what – when I I was thinking about that, I'm like, what? When you have these shoes, why wouldn't you like start like, you know, get a kid you can control and make him the basketball player and like it's a continual cash cow? That's that's not the movie we're making, I guess. <laughs> not to mention, he lets five kids outsmart him and duct tape him to a to a chair. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Crispin Glover, in one of the greatest scenes, gets duct taped to a chair, which he then just gets out of pretty quickly after the kids are gone. <laughs> yeah, he just bustles his way out of it. Oh yeah, Crispin Glover is great in this movie. I do love him. It is a. Uh, it's not one of his finest performances. Uh, Zach and I have discussed uh, Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, where he is fantastic in that movie with zero lines of dialogue. But he's he's still really good in this movie. We'll have to talk about him, you know, when we get to some of the other scenes, or, or like, you know, especially the scene where they're all um, interviewing Calvin to be adopted, and he's just lingering oh, in the background. Yeah. That's so <laughs> funny. <laughs> so I, I guess that's something I do want to say, is that even though this is a kid's movie— we think it's an American masterpiece. Uh, there, There is legitimately funny moments in this movie. Like, like they are able to play with the idea of a little kid being a professional basketball player in a really clever way. And I know, Justin, when you and I watched it, we were laughing our asses off in that first game after he signed when he's trying to get into the huddle and he's trying to jump over oh, people yeah. and get up, like. Like that, that's a that's a funny moment. Like all these six plus six five plus people are getting in a huddle, and you got this little kid trying to get in, and he knows he's just like this PR stunt. He eventually like climbs under the legs, and he actually like starts whipping them with uh, basketball knowledge. Like that, that's a clever little bit of this in the screenplay. And he had it had nothing to do with his shoes. He was just that innately good at basketball. He knew the move. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's that's a testament to this movie is that you know it um it's it's not like this kid is a loser and then gets sneakers and then he's good. He was he was knowledgeable about basketball before he got the sneakers, and and that's just like great to see. Like there's actual agency in this character. Yeah, and they even set the precedent for his knowing the right play in that moment because when he's in the parking lot before he gives candy to the coach. The the Los Angeles Knights lose the game and they both him and his buddy oh what was his Murph Murph him and Murph they uh, in unison what was Tracy thinking yes. and then they show if you only listen to Calvin you would have won the game All Knights lose by one what was Tracy Reynolds thinking no exactly exactly yeah he's he's got a he's a he's a smart kid and he got his uh he got his leg up with uh some magic sneakers so 
so I, I know that um, the, the Magic Sneakers, when, when we were watching this, um, this is something I didn't think of when I, when I remembered this movie and when I found it, which I thought was a, a great observation from you, Justin. You said something along the lines of, why is there no counter magic in this movie? Yup. That's a real, I was thinking about that these last few days since we watched it, and I'm like, that's a really good point, that the bad guy is just a greedy person. Like, the bad guy isn't, like, the, the like, the, he has the sneakers that make him play, like, another basketball player. <laughs> right, they didn't stick some other little kid on another basketball team to try and out outdo Calvin. Oh, damn that should be the sequel. That is not the premise of the sequel, but that would have been amazing if that was the sequel. <laughs> like Mike 3. Too many sneakers. Too many too many mics. <laughs> There's always just one pair. One pair in the whole movie. Yeah, and that is a really interesting idea that the magic in this universe is just good. I guess good in the sense that it benefits. And, you know, even when you say counter magic, you know, you I was thinking about it in these last few days as even there's no downside for him using these sneakers. Like, I would imagine yeah. a movie today, or a more recent movie, not like an early 2000s movie, where he would have magic sneakers, but then it would be like every time he plays a game, he gets, like, wiped out, like he's exhausted. Or, you know, um, there, there's some mystical witch that tells him every time he uses the sneakers, he's going to, like, lose a year off his life, or one of his friends is going to, you know, get hurt or something like that, like a monkey paw, like a negative consequence type of thing. But no! This is just good fun. He just has sneakers that make him play basketball really well, and that's that's really interesting. It's quite wholesome. I mean, they could have even had had fun with the counter magic and had Murph stub his toe at least every time <laughs> Calvin wins a game. Every time Calvin wins a game, another orphan doesn't get adopted. Oh boy, and become, that would have been that would have been dark. It, it becomes like the trade off between. Like a f quick financial gain and long-term, like, family lives for people. <laughs> That's like the Twilight Zone episode of this. <laughs> yeah, but it's just good, wholesome fun. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think even, you know, the whole message of the movie, because beyond Calvin, I think, you know, coming into his own and, and getting his confidence um, or his braveness, you know, Tracy Reynolds is, is our is really, I think, the, the other main protagonist because it's all about them, you know, learning to love each other, for sure. And, and it is. It's just, it's just completely wholesome. The non-wholesome things in this movie are that Crispin Glover is greedy and Tracy Reynolds doesn't like his dad for one scene. <laughs> well, Tracy Reynolds also doesn't like curfew and likes the ladies oh, a little too much. That's, yeah, that's true. That's true. And, uh, and he likes his sleeping pills a little too much as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That I think is um even though it's still it's still wholesome because we we do get a scene um it's probably the most action packed scene of the movie. Uh, well, either the either the joyride scene in the middle or the the car chase scene. This movie inexplicably ends with a bunch of sports bookies and their goons chasing after this kid with his sneakers <laughs> while they're in cars and Calvin's on a powered scooter. It's they just, managed to jam these gangsters into the end of the movie. Just out of nowhere. There's, there's <laughs> these gangsters, like these mafioso types. And it's just like, how the hell did we get here? <laughs> Complete with scooters, if I remember correctly. Yep. Motorized scooters. Yep, yep. Come on. We had a scooter chase with gangsters. Where have you ever seen that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, so yeah. So, I, I, it's the... I think that's one of the things that's, that is definitely cliche or tropish about this movie 
you know, Calvin comes on board. Uh, he, he beats Tracy Reynolds in that one-on-one, which is like the whole, you know, instigating factor for his reason to be on the team. And Tracy doesn't like it. So Tracy doesn't really want to deal with him. You know, like the, uh, the great line I mentioned at the start, he don't want to play Monopoly with him. He don't want to play GameCube, Rubik's Cube, anything with a cube. He's not playing with <laughs> Calvin. <laughs> I'm not going to be playing Monopoly with you, GameCube, Rubik's Cube, anything with a cube. I ain't playing. And, and we get that growth over time that they start to not only grow as teammates, but they grow as friends and eventually as, you know, um, uh, Tracy becoming the guardian for Calvin and Murph, inexplicably. And Murph. Because it's just, you know, you got to have a happy ending, I guess, for Jonathan Lipnicki. Um, but they couldn't put Brenda's song, but they, Rick yes. Stevens, in the family. That's right. And they don't. Instead, they show us that one shot of her with her new family at the very end. And it's like, oh, yeah, we forgot about her. We forgot about her while we were writing the whole movie. <laughs> and at the end, so let's just throw in a picture. <laughs> she turned out okay. I don't even know her name in the movie. I had to she, look it up right now. Uh, it's, it's Brenda Song. At, what, who's At, she, or Reg Stevens. Re, yeah, Reg or yeah, Reg. Yeah. I don't, Stevens. Reg. I don't think that's ever said. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, she has nothing to do in this movie. And it's a little unfortunate because she, of course, goes on to be like a Disney Channel superstar. She's in so much Disney Channel stuff. And she just has nothing to do here. She's just another friend. And it's like, why did we even need this? <laughs> I'm just glad she did well. Yes, yes. So, of course, um, th- that scene, uh, the, I think one of the scenes that really starts to form the, uh, uh, the relationship between Calvin and Tracy is uh, when Tracy goes out and he's like, I need some more allergy medication. I'm probably going to pick up some sleeping pills because, Calvin, you snore a lot. And that, he snores a lot, and that's just a character trait of Calvin's. <laughs> and so Calvin sneaks into the back of his car to go on the ride with them, and they have a musical number – where they are singing or rapping in the car. Y'all gonna make me lose my mind up in here, up in here. And that's pretty good. I got nothing against that. But I, that, what was, I, that was pretty hype, that, that oh, yeah. moment. But what I do have an issue with is at this point in the movie, Tracy has said to Calvin that his parents are dead, or gone, as he says it. But later on, Calvin learns from another teammate that Tracy's dad is still around. I'm pretty sure it was Dirk Nowitzki. Dirk Nowitzki. One, yeah, one of them. Yeah, and one of the. And so after this, after they sing in the car, I'm gonna put the clip in. And this is one of the cases where our audience has to know Rob is not doing any editing to the scene in the movie. We're gonna, you're gonna hear it exactly as it portrays itself in the movie. And the moment the song ends, after they are both rapping and dancing in the car, the song fades out, and it cuts to Calvin, and he goes, Tracy. Why'd you tell me your parents were dead? <laughs> it's it's tonal whiplash. It comes out of nowhere. And I find it absolutely hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so y'all gonna make me act a fool a bit. What? 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 Calvin, 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 Calvin. Stick to playing basketball, man. You know why? Because you can't rap. You can do better. I can do better. Let me see you do something. Up in here, up, up in, in here, y'all gon' make me lose my mind. Up in here, up in here, y'all gon' make me go TLC. all night. Here you go. Up in here, up Listen in here. Listen Ah. Uh-oh, pop lock. Okay, can you bring some, bring some, bring some, bring some. All right. Oh. Oh. Press it back, press it back, press it back. One, two. Oh. Meet me outside, meet me outside. Oh. 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 
What's going on? How come you told me that your dad was dead? Oh, come and on. he really isn't. Talent, look, look, no. Why? I don't want to talk about this right now. I think you made a point about it. That's some that's some shit a thirteen year old would do, right? Yeah. No no uh no sense of taste or timing or, or anything. Just on his mind, dude, you didn't tell me your you told why'd you tell me your parents were dead? <laughs> we just we just had a moment. I'm gonna follow it up with some heavy philosophical shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now that we had fun singing DMX, I need to get back to the You told me your dad was dead. Oh, it's it's crazy. And I think Tracy says something like, you know, he's like, stay out of my business, you fucking little kid. You have no idea what's going on. And at that point <laughs> in the movie, I'm like, you're right. This little kid does not have any idea what's going on. He should completely stay out of your business. <laughs> <laughs> but, of course, uh, they uh, they go to the um, uh, the pharmacy, or Calvin stays in the car. Uh, Tracy goes in to get his sleeping pills and his uh, allergy medication. Calvin's getting a little freaked out because it's close to curfew. Curfew is midnight. I think the car clock says like 11.50 or 55. And Calvin's like, you can't. You got to get back, you know, before curfew because he's following the rules that he, he learned about from Coach. And Tracy Morgan uh, – Tracy Morgan. <laughs> Tracy, <laughs> Tracy Reynolds, <laughs> he is so enthralled by uh, Vanessa Williams who's playing the pharmacist. He's he's a Mac and honor hardcore. He uh, he just unknowingly takes a sleeping pill, two sleeping pills, if I remember correctly, instead yeah, of his he's allergy popping those because you know one, it is almost midnight. So of course, why wouldn't that be the time to take your allergy medication, right? <laughs> right before <laughs> bed. <laughs> so he pops the sleeping pills and he gets back in the car and he's falling asleep. And um, he, as he's falling asleep, Calvin doesn't know what to do. Calvin can't wake him up because once the sleeping pill takes effect. So Calvin puts him in the passenger seat, which I don't think we see how he does that, how Calvin can lift Tracy Reynolds into the other seat of the car. But yeah, he does. he's got to be pretty strong to pull that one off. The shoes also do that. They make him play like Michael Jordan. They give him the strength of Michael Jordan. <laughs> It's a superpower. It's and you a, know he doesn't take those shoes off all movie. It's a uh, – it's a, um, it's like an accessory in an RPG, you know? You equip it and it gives you Michael Jordan's strength and abilities. <laughs> <laughs> the ability to be in Haynes commercials with a Hitler mustache. Did equip you ever, Michael did you ever, Jordan shoes. Did you ever see that, the, the Haynes commercial with Michael Jordan where he had a Hitler mustache? No. It, it, I, it exists. I did not know this existed. It, there, he did a series of – uh, I didn't look this up. It's just come back to me now, but he did a series of commercials for Hanes, specifically for their underwear. Not their socks or anything like that, their underwear. And if I remember correctly, all of the commercials took place with him talking to regular Joes on an airplane. And there was one, maybe one or two commercials where he had a Hitler mustache in the commercials. Whoever Why made that would decision, they give him a Hitler mustache? Exactly. That's what I was about to say. Who would in their right mind ever make that distinction? Who in their right mind would ever say, you know, this is fine? <laughs> and aren't there a team of people this needs to pass through before – oh, god. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Haynes. I'm sure they're, they have a huge marketing department, I'm sure. And yeah, I'm, Haynes I'm, checked off on this. And, yeah, and they got Michael Jordan – 
they might. That's the thing. I don't know. I don't know if it was Michael Jordan's choice or if it was Haynes's choice. But I can't imagine either of the if whoever's idea it was. It just seems so foreign to me to just be like, okay, fine, you know. The only thing, <laughs> the only thing that I hope happened, my my head canon for this is that they got Michael Jordan to be in commercial, and and Michael Jordan was like, I want to do whatever I choose to do. And they, like, gave him carte blanche, and then he was, like, came in the next day and went, Hitler mustache. And they were like, oh, <laughs> fuck, we put that in the contract. He can do whatever he wants. <laughs> what have we done? Yes. But I haven't seen that in so long. Um, but for, for anybody in the audience, uh, you could do a quick Google. If you Google Michael Jordan Hitler mustache, many images come up. There's a YouTube video that comes up called The Time Michael Jordan Had a Hitler Mustache. There's articles titled Possible Explanations for the Michael Jordan Hitler Mustache. <laughs> this, this, was, this was a huge deal that I think everybody forgot about until this podcast. We're bringing it back. Hitler stash on Michael Jordan. Yeah, not, we can't let that one die. We're not saying it's good. We're not saying it's bad. We're just saying this is a relic of history that we have forgotten as a culture and we need to remember. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Someone thought this was okay. Yeah, so I think uh, I think that tangent came from uh, Calvin puts on the sneakers. He gets the basketball abilities of Michael Jordan. He gets the strength of Michael Jordan, and he grows a Hitler mustache. Okay, perfect. We're on board. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Calvin has the strength of Michael Jordan, he moves Tracy to the passenger seat, and Calvin has to drive the car, because he knows at all costs he has to get them back before curfew. He can't see over the steering wheel, so he actually very cleverly gets the spare tire out of the trunk and sits on that. That's a that's a smart move, right? Yeah, that's one of the slick things they just put in this movie. Uh, they, they didn't have, you know, library books in the back seat like, <laughs> you know, Matilda would have or something. Yes. <laughs> they had a spare tire that he managed to just bust out. Matilda, that's a great reference. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's books. Yeah, and then uh, – and then um, oh, God, I haven't seen Matilda in so long. That's something I, I've wanted to do for a while. Did you know uh, – do you know the director of Matilda by any chance? I do not. Danny fucking DeVito. Oh, no way. Yeah, he directed Matilda and was in it as the the terrible yeah, yeah. Uh, adoptive father. Yeah, I remember him being in it. Man, that's such a good movie. The cake scene, I'll never forget that cake scene where that poor boy's got to eat all of that cake. And there was oh, blood in it. In front of the uh in front of the whole class, right? Yeah, in front of in an auditorium. He was on stage. That's right. I forgot. Oh, man. I yeah, haven't seen yeah, Miss uh, what's uh, the 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 headmaster Miss Miss Trunchbull or something like that. Yeah, Miss Trunchbull. Oh man, yeah that that boy is, was she a piece of work. That is one of the I I watched that a lot when I was younger, and I'm just like I love Danny DeVito, and that was something I found out like years later that it's like some of my favorite movies that like from when I was younger were actually directed by Danny DeVito. So like Matilda, like like he redirected that movie. It's Danny DeVito. It's it's the guy from It's Always Sunny who offers people eggs, <laughs> and he, he's, he's the, the, the soul troll or whatever in the Dayman episode. Like, he directed a feel-good kids movie. <laughs> yeah. That one's a lot darker than Like Mike. Oh, yeah. He also directed – I don't know if Justin's ever seen it. One of my favorite movies. Um, it's not a kids movie. It's a black comedy. Um, the War of the Roses. 
Never heard of it. Okay, it's uh, it, Danny DeVito plays a divorce lawyer, and someone comes to him to like file for divorce, and he's like, you need to be prepared for what you're getting into, and the whole movie's framed as Danny DeVito telling a story of a couple that fell in love, and then they, their marriage starts to fall apart, and they get violent about it. It's really interesting. I didn't realize he had such a repertoire. Oh, yeah. He also directed um, one of the most ridiculous films of all time, uh, Throw Mama from the Train. Okay. That is a, that is a very goofy movie. Uh, he also directed the Jimmy Hoffa movie, um, and then later on he directed Death to Smoochie with Chris Kattan, I believe, was in that one. No, Robin Williams. Sorry, a Robin Williams movie. He directed Duplex with Ben Stiller. And he's done some directing since then. Duplex was 2003. But, I mean, you, it's also kind of just mind-blowing the fact that he's been a, a producer and an executive producer on a lot of crazy stuff. One of yeah. the things that always gets a lot of people, one of the executive producers, uh, one of the executive producer credits he has, I should say, is on none other than Pulp Fiction. No way. Yes, Danny DeVito was making decisions on Pulp Fiction. That's it's, crazy. It's, I love yeah. Pulp Fiction. It's it's fucking insane, right? <laughs> Man. Oh yeah, and then Good he was for a, him. Yeah, definitely. He was a producer for uh, Man on the Moon, the uh, Jim Carrey, uh, Andy Kaufman biopic. Uh, he was a producer on Aaron Brockovich, which always throws me for a loop. Um, he was an executive producer on Garden State, which we've talked some shit on on this podcast. <laughs> but but yeah, Danny DeVito is just a beast. Like, like there is no one that has had such a – maybe not no one, but he is one of the people that has, has had such a – I, I want to say just storied and diverse career. Because how do you go from director on things like War of the Roses and Matilda – to eventually, as we know him today, the crazy man, Frank Reynolds, on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. One of the most iconic performances of all time. It's just, it's I know. just ridiculous. That is, that is so nutty that that's the move he chose to make. He's like, I'm going to go to It's Always Sunny <laughs> after all of that. And he's, he's so great in that show. He, he, is, he is just oh. fantastic. <laughs> Legendary. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's uh, – so, Justin, welcome to Cinemodities, where we go off on tangents about the film industry because we usually can't talk about those people in our series. <laughs> <laughs> so I know – I know, I hope you like it. I know you like it. <laughs> you know it. But anyway, back to the – I think now there's been two tangents in the same scene. Uh, yes, Matilda, because of the, the car riding scene. Calvin gets his, uh, his clever move of getting the uh, spare tire to so be able to see over the steering wheel. That's his only clever move, because he does not know how to drive a car. <laughs> oh, yeah. As evidenced That's by right. – oh, oh, I, I, I didn't even put this in my notes. I just thought about it now. We were like – one of the silliest parts of this movie, with all the wacky logic leaps that it takes, when he tries to drive, he turns on the windshield wipers. Oh, yeah. And he gets mesmerized. Like we get a shot of him, <laughs> his head moving and following the windshield wipers. And when we saw this, we were like – why would that happen? <laughs> he he knows where the spare tire is, but windshield wipers don't make sense. <laughs> yes, and he, and he gets hypnotized by them. And oh yeah, that that was I was like, that's just a, a goofy moment. It has you know, it's such it's such a tiny joke that I don't even know if kids would latch onto. Like I don't think kids would be like, oh, that's funny. He gets mesmerized because it lasts like what a second and a half, 
And mm-hmm. it, it makes, I don't know, that they could have done without that. But of course, it's followed up by, uh, what, he goes in reverse first. Can't do that. Uh, starts going forward. Um, crashes through an entire construction zone. <laughs> and the thing is, I don't even think we talked about this in our, when we watched it. How does he know how to get back to the hotel? Right? How does, how does he know the directions to the hotel? <laughs> That's a good point. Because as I think as far as we can tell, there's no GPS in the car. And back in 2002, did, did GPS even exist? There was no GPS in this car. No way. Yeah. And so, so somehow... That was he, pure instinct. It's in, like he's a dog or something in that scene. He, <laughs> he just can knows. Always, he can always find I mean, his bow, way back wow. home. <laughs> That's like a sound a dog makes. So maybe, you know, he just had those instincts. <laughs> I don't. I got nothing right now. That's. I like that. He is a. He is a. Um, he his name is Lil Bow Wow, which references a dog, and what one of his first albums was Dog Days or, or Beware of Dog or whatever it was, and so that's that's the connection. He can always find his way home, even though for half of the car ride, when Tracy left the hotel, he was hiding in the back seat and could not find the or see the road. <laughs> He has such incredible moments of brilliance in this movie. But if he has the strength of Michael Jordan to list, to lift, you know, Tracy, and if he's got the skills of Michael Jordan, shouldn't he have the driving capacity of Michael Jordan too? Oh, that's a good question. Why don't the shoes let him drive? That's a good question. <laughs> Why is this so foreign to him? He can dunk <laughs> from the foul line. But he can't drive a car. <laughs> So, so I did. I did a quick search just because I was interested. Um, it seems that around 2002, uh, uh, when this movie came out, you know, so probably filmed early 2002, late 2001, um, GPSs were not popular or, or common in rental cars, that type of thing. But interestingly enough, this uh, this article I found apparently the the concept of GPS started with something called a map guidance tool, which was basically a little thing that would be in your car and scroll a paper map. And it came out in the 1930s. How crazy is that? What? Yeah, the, 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 the technical invention of the GPS was in 1930. Boy. And it was scrolls of paper maps. That's insane. <laughs> the, the first um, uh, automated or electronic GPS was apparently 1981. So the technology existed at the time of this movie. Exactly. But yeah, I think from what we see, we, there's no GPS in that car. Absolutely. We cannot right. give him that benefit of yeah. the doubt. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the first electronic GPS unit cost $2,750. I, I think I think they're what? they got to be like around 60 to 80 bucks these days, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Man, that's crazy. Oh, I mean, no one even buys GPS anymore. They just use their phone. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I bought crazy. a GPS about eight years ago, maybe more, nine okay. years ago, before I got a smartphone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so once again, Justin, welcome to Cinemodities, where we find random facts about things. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but that, that's, the, that's the scene. Calvin does get back to the hotel somehow, and um, he gets suspended for it because he went joyriding. But Tracy doesn't get suspended. Well, well sure. He, he got suspended because he took the rap for Tracy. Yes. Very impressive. He managed to not only get Tracy into the passenger seat, but <laughs> back to bed 
without his knowing. That that's the other thing is I it was I I think we were confused when we watched that after that scene where he drives through the the construction site get back to the hotel. We get that scene where um Tracy it, like one of his other team members comes up and he's like, "Yo, you hear Calvin got suspended for joyriding?" And Tracy's like, "Why oh. the hell would he do something like that?" And then the other dude comes up and he's like, "How do you think you got back home last night?" Like he he took the rap for you so you wouldn't break curfew. And it's like, "How the fuck does everybody know what's going on on this team except Tracy?" <laughs> yeah, he didn't put that one together. Yeah. <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> I love it. It the, the movie does exactly it might not make sense, but this movie does exactly what it needs to do to keep the plot moving. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So yeah, that that was a big scene. I think that's that's one of the um the the most interesting scenes is that Joyride one. Um I guess um you know, since we set it up, uh w- were there any scenes that you wanted to talk about specifically? Any oh, anything- we- Go for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. We have to talk about the paint scene. Oh, yes. The trigonometry through paint lesson. Oh, my God. I, I have this one written down, too, because this just might be one of the most insane things I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I guess the, the thesis for this scene, the thesis of our discussion is in when Calvin has to do geometry homework, does he only need to know the names of the triangles? Because that's all he fucking learns. They get as far as, oh my god, I, I, they had the player names that I'll never remember, sure. but they put three people in formation. He's like, they're both the same distance away from person A, so it's an isosceles. And Tracy's like, you got it. You've learned everything you need to know. Now we can have a paint fight. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Cut to paint fight. So so the scene is set up is that everything's going wrong for Calvin. You know, he doesn't. Uh, Biddleman is setting him up with with bad adoptive parents, which is another scene we'll have to talk about. Um, Murph is mad at him for some reason. I wasn't clear on that, but he's like, Murph's mad at me. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, And so Tracy, uh, sorry, Calvin goes to Tracy and he's like, I got this problem in my life. I got that problem in my life. And I got to do my geometry homework. (laughs) Like, like that's how you know this is a, a... pure 100% kids movie that that's the capstone on his problems. <laughs> and so Tracy says to call Murph to get get him over to Tracy's house. Uh and then Tracy is like while you do that I'm going to take a look at your geometry homework and I'm going to help you out with it. We get the great scene as Justin already described that Tracy um paints the side walls of his house with triangles and puts it in the context of basketball. Like on each each uh, vertex of the triangle, he's got little stick figures um, painted on with their names above them. And I do have to say, I don't think we, we caught this in when we watched it, but the one of the ones that he paints has Dennis Rodman, and the hair on the stick figure is purple. Because oh. Dennis Rodman was always known for his crazy fucking colored hair and shit like yep. that. And I, I loved that when I went back and looked at that scene. <laughs> <laughs> so, so of course, you know, uh, he's, he's doing the right thing. That's a, that's a good teacher move. Put this new stuff in context that um, Calvin knows about. Basketball. And so Calvin's able to be like, you know, oh, this is the isosceles triangle. This is where they're all the same distance apart, so it's equilateral. And this is us. We do the acute offense. That's the acute triangle. And then they go into their paint fight. That's that's my first question. Clearly, Justin, as as math people ourselves, 
<laughs> there is no way that this 13-year-old kid would only need to know the names of the triangles, right? They could have at least stuck in, you know, the inner angles all summed to 180 degrees, yeah. you know? Give the viewers a little little tidbit of knowledge that's, to walk away that's with. That's exactly what I was saying. They could have, hell, if they wanted to do even, they could have done that, and then the next step above that is the Pythagorean theorem. Because they don't even talk about right triangles. Right and that's the that's the triangle everyone thinks of, you know, when they're like triangle math, boom, Pythagorean theorem. Everyone is just with it. They yes. could have throw that in. Oh yeah, but but you Why know, not I put th- the right triangle. I Come think on. I think there's a um, a trade off. I, w- I would love to talk to uh, whoever you know, the director and the writer for this movie is. Maybe they were like, we can't put too much math in because that'll turn the kids off. It needs to just be a paint fight. <laughs> These are the same people uh, making the decisions on the Haynes commercials with that one. <laughs> what what if Calvin Cambridge had a Hitler mustache? <laughs> <laughs> That'll really lure them in. So so this paint fight gets interrupted uh, by Murph showing up, where we get probably the best comedic. Mm, I don't know. I'm kind of torn because I do love the one I mentioned already. You know. GameCube, Rubik's Cube, ending with a cube, I'm not playing it. I love that line. But Jonathan Lipnicki might steal the show with his with the great, terrible child actor delivery that he's known for, where he shows up in a cab at Tracy Reynolds' house, and they're like, what's up, Murph? How's it going? And he's like, can you believe the cab ride over here costs 50 bucks? Hey, Tracy, can I borrow forty nine fifty? That is great that was kid so humor. good. <laughs> you must be Tracy. He must be Murph. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> What's up, Murph? Hey, Cal. You all right? Yeah, I'm pretty good. But can you believe a cab right here costs 50 bucks? You should have took the bus. Tracy, can you lend me 49.50? <laughs> all right, Murph, I'll go get my wallet. He never even spoke with Tracy before, and he just shows up. They're covered in paid Tracy and Calvin. Hey, Tracy, can I borrow forty nine fifty? It's so it's so good in concept and delivery because I I I've, I've never really liked Jonathan Lipnicki as a young child actor. I don't know if Jester has ever seen it, but um, um, oh God, what's that famous? Cameron Crowe movie with Cuba. Why can I not? Show me the money. Cuba Gooding Jr. and Tom Cruise. Why the hell am I blanking I got nothing. On? Why the hell am I blanking on Jerry Maguire? Oh, of course. Jerry Maguire. That was a... Uh, this is what happens in editing. Rob makes himself look like less of an idiot about famous movies. Jonathan Lipnicki is, is a little kid in Jerry Maguire. Like one of the, one of the most... One of the biggest movies of all time, Jerry Maguire. And I hate him in that. And I hate him in, like, his Disney Channel stuff. And what it's like, uh, he's in some movie called, like, The Littlest Vampire or something. And Jonathan Litnicki is, like, the the late 90s, early 2000s Jacob Tremblay. Who's, Jacob Tremblay is a more current child actor that I absolutely hate. But he keeps getting roles for some reason. And you you can't get good performances from child actors... Because they're children, you know, half the time they have, like, their parents or somebody reading them their lines off screen, and you can see them looking at them, and it's, it's a whole fucking nightmare. But Jonathan Litnicki, they they made this moment work, because he's not delivering it in a good way, he's just straight up delivering it in a childish, funny way. Can you believe the cab ride over here costs 50 bucks? 
Tracy, can I borrow forty nine fifty? Like, it, like the meter's off. Everything's off for a good performance. But it it kind of works in the sense that this is just some some random ass kid that that we, <laughs> we've only seen for you know like ten percent of the movie. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah. And you got to just think about being Tracy in this moment, like. What is up with these damn kids? You know, first he's got paint all over his window, his walls, his yard, and now this little fucker's asking him for forty nine fifty. I he was, didn't even mention the tip, Jonathan uh, Lipnicki. Oh, that's that's he didn't a even good point. Think about the tip, but I, you know Tracy's thinking about the tip in that moment. He's like, I got to tip this guy too now. Oh yeah. If I was Tracy, I think I would go to the cab driver and I'd be like, I I think in terms of this movie. Uh, as it's portrayed, I don't know the actual ages. It seems like Murph is much younger than uh, Bow Wow. Like Bow Wow's thirteen. It seems like Murph could be like nine or ten. He does seem younger. If I was Tracy, I would go to the cab driver and go, "Why the fuck did you pick up a nine-year-old? <laughs> like, right? Like, there's got to be some 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 policies against this. Be like, you know, kid, what are you doing? But <laughs> I, I don't know. L.A. in the early two thousands. Who knows? It might have been a lawless wasteland. <laughs> you're right though bow wow is it looks like three years older than jonathan Lipnicki. okay and he okay. sure holds himself better in the movie oh yeah oh yeah so so that then of course they just uh you know tracy goes to get the money and jonathan Lipnicki's like what have you been doing and bow wow covered in paint says geometry homework and he's <laughs> like can you teach me and they continue to have a paint fight <laughs> And they jump in Tracy's pool covered with paint. And I'm like, oh, my God, like the adult in me hates that because that paint is going to fuck up the water. It's going to fuck up the chlorine going to fuck up the filters. And I'm like, oh. The pool liner, everything. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, oh, yeah. But I, I will give the movie credit. That's the thing that they, they do. We'll have to talk about how this movie sets things up a little later on, uh, especially with the lights out during or the nightlight during bedtime. Um, yep. But this is the scene that it does make sense for us to see this, for Murph, Calvin, and Tracy to be having fun at his house, and then Murph getting adopted later on. If we did not have this scene, Murph getting adopted later on would be like, what? <laughs> if only Reg took the cab ride, oh. she would have been right there with him. Yep, exactly, exactly. I think, I wasn't there something where like Calvin wanted Reg to help him with the math homework? And she wouldn't or something like that? Wasn't there a quick scene about that? I don't know. I, I don't, feel like I remember that. I remember. because I. So so if that's true, we, we would have a scene in this movie where Calvin goes to Reg and says, can you help me with my math homework? Reg is Asian. So this movie is incredibly racist and should be canceled is what we're saying, right? <laughs> if, if that scene exists, this movie is garbage because it's racist and should be canceled and never thought of again. It, it sounds to me like what you're proposing, Rob, is that if Reg were just a little bit nicer, then her, Calvin, and Murph would have all been a happy family. Mm. But since she didn't help with the trig, now she's got to be on her own for the rest of her life. <laughs> on on her own, yes, with with a different family. On her own, yes. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah, completely yeah. ignored by the movie. Things could have been things could have been different. Things could have been really different for uh, Brenda Song if she just uh, if she just was able to tell Calvin what an isosceles triangle was. Right. <laughs> oh man, that's crazy. 
so the implications. So so yes, that that is a great scene. I, that that scene is one of the ones that's definitely vital to the movie. It forms their relationship, um, not only Calvin and Tracy, but with Murph as well. We get that fantastic comedic line. Can I borrow forty nine fifty? Oh man, that's just so good. Um, so so I think you know since we passed it already, one of the instigating uh, factors for why Calvin went over to Tracy's mansion or estate or it's a big house, you know, um, is that. Calvin goes to uh, Crispin Glover. In the movie, Crispin Glover plays a character named Stan Biddleman. I love that name, Biddleman. And uh, Calvin's like, you know, I I want to get adopted. Like, if, like, like what's adoption? Because you told me previously, Mr. Orphan and Jonah, that I couldn't get adopted on my contract. And Crispin Glover's like, okay, I'm going to set up interviews with only the best parents. I'm going to give you interviews with only the best families, and you can see if any of them work out and see if they're better than being here with me at the orphanage while you're playing basketball. I think I have to say this is the best scene in the movie. The, the intercut of, of just the, the, um, the families. We don't see Calvin. We just see Calvin's point of view of these adoptive families, and they all are wildly different. This, this is probably my favorite scene in the movie. This the is comedy scene, here isn't is it? so good. Yeah, it's so subtle. The comedy, just having Crispin Glover in the background, just <laughs> watching over everything. Yeah. Oh boy, and 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 just the different the families. They were done so well. It was an excellent montage. I I love the fact that you know what do we get? I'm trying. I didn't write it down, but I'm trying to remember. Um, I think we get the uh, the musical theater family, the two white people. That are like we do musical theater in this many cities and all this stuff, and and then they start singing uh, "The Sun Will Come Out Tomorrow" from Annie because he's an orphan, which is which is highly offensive to an orphan, I would imagine. <laughs> Be like, you are reduced to a theater play in our minds. Like, fuck that. Um, we get the 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 hippie family, um, the the man of which is played none other than fucking Fred Armisen. From Saturday Night Live, Saturday Night Live and uh, Portland oh, okay. now, which was just shocking to see. We get the military family where he's like, "We are a military family, son. We wake up every morning five a.m. We are going to teach you how to fall in line. How tall are you, son? How tall are you?" And he's like screaming at him. There's the trucker family where the guy's like, "My wife, he is going to homeschool you because we're on the road twenty four seven. You're going <laughs> to learn how to hold your bladder." And and what else? There's the oh, there's a Jamaican family. For one cut, and you can't understand anything yep. they say in their like Rastafarian accent. They're like, I can't. I, I'm not even gonna try because I can't do a Rastafarian accent. But w- I, I will have to put that entire clip in here because it is amazing. It is. It is one of the funniest scenes I think I've ever seen. Like it, it, it plays on everything perfect. It's edited perfectly. You got Crispin Glover looming in the background that we just yep. lost our minds at, and. And it's just, it's, it's so good, the way that they intercut between them. We've been doing musical dinner theater now for over six years. In over 27 cities. Mm-hmm. No more hard knock life for you, Calvin. The sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow there'll be sun. We run a tight ship, Cambridge! Roll call 0600! I think you're gonna flip for my sugar-free seaweed rice cream. I just stick out my chin and grin. All right, good buddy. Now, Denise here will homeschool you because we're on the road 24-7. And I say, 
Your ass clapping. You have to come back with me. Are you seeing? Tomorrow, tomorrow. How tall are you, boy? How tall are you? You learn to hold your bladder. We love ya. Tomorrow, you're it's only a day away. You see, Calvin, you're best off here with me. Best scene in the movie? Do you think best scene in the movie? It's up there. It's up it's, there. Okay, okay. It's it's tough. There's there's so many good scenes in this movie that I have a hard time picking the best. That's, if I'm being honest, that's, that's yeah. when we get when you get two people that love a movie, love an American masterpiece. It's it, it's tough to say it's, what's what's the best part about it. Absolutely. So it's yeah, got I, a special place in my heart. This absolutely. movie. So I know you needed to talk about the paint scene. I had to bring up that that interview with the adoptive parents. That scene is so so good. Um, did you have, did you have anything else? What else did you want to, any other scenes you wanted to bring up? You know, I think, I think we hit them. Let me, let me take a quick look and see if there's something I'm missing. While you take a quick look, there was a minor thing, uh, a minor (laughs) scene that I wanted to bring up, uh, before some of the, the more overarching facts. Um, it's a very quick one. It's another one that I think is a legitimately funny moment, like kid or adult, you can appreciate it. The fancy luncheon that Calvin has with the Boyd family, his, his oh, potential adoptive right. parents. Um, this is also the instigation where um, Crispin Glover knows about the magic shoes and just accepts it because that's the that's the universe we're in. Magic shoes, okay. He knows he has to get Calvin to like take the shoes off, so he tells Calvin, "You need to wear better sneakers for this fancy luncheon with the Boyds than the ratty ones you're wearing." And Calvin, you know, acquiesces begrudgingly. And he gives the shoes to Murph, um, and that's kind of the whole third act climax. But this fancy luncheon scene, it is it is very robotic because, you know, we get a great establish, establishing shot of the whole table where everybody in the Boyd family is moving in unison. Like they're, they're putting their fork in their food and moving it to their mouth at the exact same time. <laughs> and Calvin is not. Like Calvin is offbeat with them. Which, which is a great visual storytelling moment where he's like, he clearly does not belong in here. Calvin is drinking something like, well, well, we joked that it might be wine. They might have given him wine, but it's probably like grape juice. It looks like wine. Yeah. He's drinking it out of a wine glass, like a, like a chalet or something like that. And he spills it. And this is another one of my favorite scenes from the movie. When he spills it, we get, the editing is so great because we see Calvin and his dinner or his lunch plate in front of him. He puts the glass down; it falls over. We get a quick cut to the liquid falling out of the glass, and then we get a quick cut to a woman at the table who shrieks and throws her hands up, and then another cut to a woman at the table who throws her hands up and throws her fork in the air. <laughs> like, like this is this is so funny that one spill at a fancy dinner table would cause people to go. Ah! And throw their utensils. So up in arms. <laughs> and then Calvin's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And and Mr. Boyd, who's played by the dad from Family Matters, as we um as we pointed out in our viewing, he's just like, it's okay, Calvin, it's no big deal. And you can see the other women at the table, like, trembling. <laughs> he can't live with us. He spilled oh. grape juice. Oh, my God, it's so good. It's so funny. That, that scene in the movie is... That's what I, that's what I want. I want more of that type of comedy. If I have one, if I have two complaints about this movie, there's one I haven't gotten to yet. If I have two complaints about this movie, I want more of that comedy and less of the basketball montages. I get that it's an NBA entertainment film, but 
you know, we get like what seven minutes of screen time devoted to basketball, like actual basketball players interacting with Calvin and Bow Wow on the court. Put to the music. We get a lot of interviews of yes. um, and the whole know, time we're here. NBA hearing, players. We playing basketball. We playing basketball. They say that so I will, many goddamn times. I will say though, I I love the basketball song. That one will stick with me forever. It's, <laughs> it's been a, stuck in my head earworm. since we watched it. <laughs> and and that's where Bow Wow does get to rap for his little verse in the middle of that. Yep, in the in the movie. Yep. 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 So so but uh, before, I, before oh, we move yeah. away from the Boyd scene, I think we have to give Crispin Glover's character some credit for this being the most intelligent thing he's done all film. I mean, he's knocking chess boards over. He's getting tied up by little rascals, the whole thing. But he had the intelligence to say, if I get Bow Wow at dinner with an upstanding family, I can convince him to take off the shoes. Then I can steal the shoes and make a bet. That's, that's pretty clever for this guy. That That is clever. My only issue with that is that he sets up this whole thing. He's not the one to steal the shoes. He recruits Jesse Plemons to steal the shoes from Murph. Yep. And that's that's kind of the thing where I'm like, that's a flaw in your plan. Well, you know, at, yeah. well, no, 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 you're actually, now that I think about it, you're, that might not be exactly true. He does recruit Jesse Plemons and the bullies to get the shoes from Murph, but when that doesn't work, Crispin Glover is the one to threaten Murph with burning the only picture of his real mother he has. That's right. Unless Which he they him plug the in the first scene. They show oh, that picture early on. I they don't draw any attention to it, but it is there. It's it's kind of okay, okay, I guess we gotta get to this now. Is that uh, when Justin and I watched this, uh Rob had some issues with the fact that as we went through the movie, things were being stated late in the movie that we did not believe Rob definitely believed did not believe <laughs> were set up. One of right. them was that um, you know, uh, when the the first night Tracy and Calvin spend together, Calvin's like, "Can we sleep with the light on at the at the group home? We always sleep with the light on." And I'm like, "No!" I'm like, "They showed a bedtime scene. There was no light on." I was like, "What the fuck is this?" And then later on, when Jonathan Lipnicki's when Murph is getting Crispin Glover's threatening him with the burning of the picture of his mother, I'm like, "How the fuck do we know? Like, when did this happen? When did we get the <laughs> picture of his mother?" And I'm just like, "I was like, what is this movie doing?" After. Justin and I finished this film. Justin was – I think you said something directly along the lines of, I need confirmation that there was no light on in that first bedroom scene. <laughs> and we rewound the movie. We went to that first bedroom scene, and it turned out not only were there lights on, there is an establishing shot of the Murph's mother as it pans over to Murph. So yep. I have to give this movie credit. I did not notice that. This is a great example of show, not tell. The movie never slowed down and went, oh, like Murph never had a line that said, Calvin, this is the only picture of my mother that I have. I don't know why my Jonathan Lipnicki impression sounds like my (laughs) David Lynch impression right there, but we never got that line. It was literally shown to us, but not told to us. So this this movie, like John Schultz, the director... Um, this this movie has some artistic design behind it, which makes it all the better. I give them a lot of props for the continuity there. <laughs> yes, I and as Justin knows, I was very angry 
for a lot of the movie about Calvin not wanting to sleep with the well, – he needed the light on to sleep. And I'm like, we've seen him sleep with the light out already. And the- it came on like six times and you were like, no, he was brave. He got up in the dark, <laughs> climbing trees in a lightning storm, and now he's he's scared? Yes. But they did it. They they set it up. That's that's really solid. I give this I give this movie some credit for that for sure. Yep. So I I guess I have to say the other thing because I said previously there's two things I have complaints with this movie. Um, I I have to mention the cinematography. I know this is something I I I had gripes with when we were watching it. Every time characters interact, it's not a wide shot. It's close ups of their face. Like, I think I said while we were watching it, I was just, like, screaming at the TV, move the camera away from their face! Like, like, oh, God, I, I, that's not just uh, something I don't like about this movie. It's something I don't like about all movies. I hate those, those close-up, just like, if two characters are talking, you know, we're gonna do shot, reverse shot, shot, reverse shot, go to one face, go to the other face. Like, oh, I, it's, it, it makes the movie seem so claustrophobic. And there's no reason for this movie to be claustrophobic. I think the only time it gets a reprieve is in the basketball scenes when you actually have shots of the court. But every other time, it's just like one character's in frame, and it's like, no, come on, show me, show me anything more than this. It, it got it got so bad to a point where I was like, maybe they don't have a focus puller. Maybe they don't have someone on the crew that when they have a wide shot, they don't know how to keep things in focus, so they need to do <laughs> single shots. Like, oh, it just it drove me crazy. Did that bother you at all? That bothers me all the time. And all I can ever think is, well, this person's so much higher budget than this person that they didn't want to include them. So they did all their lines separately with the stand-in. And they didn't want to deal with having them act together because then they both got to get their lines right instead of just one of them. So they did this. That's a good point. Of course, the uh, the, the movie-making magic behind the scenes, um, you know— this- it, it always plays a role. And, you know, especially, that's a good point that you bring up. You know, that's something that caught my attention on this last viewing was, um, you know, every time Calvin is playing a game, we get a lot of cuts into the stands of uh, Murph and Reg, Brenda Song, where they're, like, cheering him on. I, I guarantee you they shot all those sh- all those scenes with Murph and Reg just close up in stadium seats. They did that in, like, 20 minutes. And then they were just yep. like, okay, we're done. We just need to edit this in different places. And and that that could be the case because you know like we said this star-studded cast maybe there was some scheduling conflicts with uh, scenes where we needed both Eugene Levy and Robert Forster so you know some some big names maybe there was um, some of the basketball players that could only do things on certain days because their own schedule and you know that that that's a that's a really good point you bring up for sure it, it yeah. it's necessary to make the movie I think that's something we've talked about a lot on Cinemodities is that you know the the famous saying. I think it's a Muhammad Ali saying, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> That's what movie making is. You can plan out as much as you want. When you start to make that movie, there's going to be thousands of decisions you never thought of that need to come up, and you need to figure it out on that kind of that kind of immediate sense. And that could be the case for this. I just wish that I think this movie will be heightened by more wide shots, by more actual character interaction, by not just making it almost like, you know, an interview style where just that character's frame, uh, face is in frame. Yep. And, you know, this is something I'll always say about the movie is that, frankly, it's ambitious. Look at the cast they got and oh, look yeah. at what they were going for. The magic, the the NBA scenes, everything. So 
them having to cut corners, I mean, look, they can only do so much. True, true. We'll give them a pass. I give them a pass. And for this movie, you know, other of course, this was 2002, but like I mentioned earlier, this, this had a $30 million budget. Could you imagine today, if you wanted Steve Nash, Dirk Nowitzki, Jason Kidd, Allen Iverson, if you wanted them in a movie? Bow would, wow. Yeah, this would cost <laughs> way more than $30 million. Yep. So, so that 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 is fair point. That is a fair point that they they did what they could with what they had, and it's um, it's it's a you know a lot for the better for sure because it, it works. It works. I think I think both of us are saying you know there's no point in this movie that doesn't work. You know my issue with the cinematography, of course, there might be reasons behind it, but that that is to a detriment of how I view the movie. But overall, still you know it's still fantastic. It works for what it is. Absolutely. Okay. So now. I think with our with some specific scenes done, there's some things that I brought up during uh, our watching, our viewing of this movie, that uh, I got some answers to. And uh, the first one is when Calvin shows up to Tracy's house right before the geometry scene. Uh, they play a song, and immediately I said to Justin, I was like, I know this song. It's a cover of Tears for Fears, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. And I was like, but I don't know who does the cover. And we were in the zone, we were watching it, so, you know, I didn't look it up right then and there, but I looked it up for this recording. And very surprisingly, a good surprise, this song that they use in that scene is the chorus from the song Rule by none other than Nas. Oh! And Justin and I have a, have a good history with Nas, listen to some of his stuff, especially Kanye's five albums in five weeks, that Nas album that came out. Um, yes. But in 2001, Nas released a song called Rule, which not only sampled, but interpolated Tears for Fears, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. What? And it's really good. But since the beginning of time, it's been men with arms fighting. Lost lives in the towers and Pentagon. Why then must it go on? We must stop the killing. Tell me why we die with y'all God's children. Uh. Come on. I, I, think I Justin, had to look this up. Was that A. Marie singing the chorus? Yes, there? that's the feature. Yeah. Oh my God, that is incredible. Because <laughs> Justin knows, and I think I've mentioned on this podcast before, I love Tears for Fears. They're one of my favorite bands of all time, and Everybody Wants to Rule the World is their most famous song. Maybe you could make an argument that uh, Mad World is more famous because that got covered in Donnie Darko. Um, but but this I think is the song. If you think of Tears for Fears, you think of everybody wants to rule the world, and and apparently Nas did did a remix, not not just sample his song Rule, samples it, but he also expands and develops the lyrics. And I'm like, fuck yeah! I'm like one fuck yeah. Nas did this. That's great. A, la- a rapper I love messed with one of my favorite you know '80s pop songs ever. And then they used it in Like Mike. It's great. <laughs> I think the music in this movie was was solid. It's not the most amazing soundtrack. There's movies with incredible soundtracks, but they got Nas. I told that basketball song alone yep. does it for yep. me, raises it up the ranks. I mean <laughs> come on. 
They even had Jermaine Dupree on that one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so I dig it. Yeah, gotta I, give him credit. For I that. was just blown away when I looked up that song because I knew I had to because I was like, "Who's covering Tears for Fears?" And then I found it was Nas, and I'm like, "Shit!" I'm like, "Shit!" This movie just got like six more stars in my book. <laughs> yep, it's yep. up to like 59 stars now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I had to bring that up because that is that was just grand. Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention, I know I mentioned during our recording. Um, I am wildly intrigued by the fact that the climax of this movie, the, the big game, if you will, at the end of any sports movie you knew, you need the big game, you know? Yeah. It's not the championship. It's just so they can get in the playoffs. <laughs> that's, that's wildly fascinating to me. They could have just as easily, without affecting the plot at all, just said, this is now the championship game. Like, the plot does not revolve around the NBA season in any strong way. Yeah. You and- you have no clue what part of the NBA season you are in at any point in the game, or at least I didn't. That is absolutely fascinating to me, <laughs> <laughs> that it's not the champion. Because you think of any other basketball movie, what you got, like, you know, the famous ones like Hoosiers, that's the championship. I know there's a um, – there's a I don't remember the name of it, but there's a, um, a basketball movie where, like, Whoopi Goldberg becomes the coach of the Knicks or something. And that ends on the championship. Hell, even other sports movies, like when you think of like the Mighty Ducks, when you think of, you know, um, what is it, 66 asterisk, the baseball movie, it's all about the championship. And this movie is like, fuck it. it this, the only thing they're playing for is to get into the playoffs. There's more left to go after this movie ends. I, I, I don't think that, I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm just blown away by that choice in filmmaking. Now that I think about it a little bit, I, I I think that there is probably a legitimate decision behind why they did this. And I'm just going to spitball a little bit about their okay. reasoning here. Because, of course, right? Oh, what's going to be the big game? They had, to, they had to make the decision here and they had to decide, is it going to be the championship? What's it going to be? I think for a movie that's going to revolve around the big game and, and really be game dependent, you have to put a lot of time on – how did you get there? And in the NBA, if you're going to get to the finals and the big game is going to be a finals game, well, it's got to be the finals win. So then you need the entire playoffs that you need to acknowledge and you need to acknowledge the start and all the way up to the final game to clinch the finals. So like a seven-game series, this whole thing. And I think they probably said, well, that's more NBA and more NBA games than we want to, we want to make. We don't want to do a playoff run, and then we don't want to do a seven-game final series all the way to get to the last game, this and that. So maybe they made the decision to say, why don't we just make it, hey, if we're going to make it to the playoffs, this is the game. Because that's a easy one-game, important game of the season you know, way to do it. That's a really good point. Um, so so you, you would know better than I would. Uh, when you When you get to the NBA playoffs – is it only the championship that is best out of seven? Are there are, are the previous every, games? Every every play, every round of the playoffs. So you'd have like okay, I don't know, four rounds of the playoffs, four best of sevens. Gotcha. Before you get there, that's a really good point. And you know, in that light, that's something I didn't think about. That that makes this the right decision for this movie. You need them playing different teams. One, not only to get those different basketball player cameos in there, but to not make it repetitive. And not make it, you know, you know, because of course, um, you know, we get the scene where uh, 
they're like the LA the LA Knights. They have to win just the, they have to win one more game, and they're in the in the fine in the playoffs. And then Calvin somehow gets Tracy's dad to come to his house, and that's the thing that causes them to lose the game against the Bulls, making the last big game the the big finale. Oh, that's so, right. So that's that, right. It would be it would be less interesting if it was okay. It's game six, and we need to win it. But then we lose it because of that. So then it has to come down to win to game seven. That's a really interesting idea for sure. For, for a movie named like Mike, that's about a kid getting some shoes that makes him an incredible athlete. The more I think about it, the more it's about Calvin and how he deals with the fact of being an orphan, having these shoes, than it is about, hey, let me just go be an NBA star. Yes. Let me let me go and you know. Just, just shit on people in in basketball for two hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's not that. It's it's the character development, you know. And we haven't talked about the room service scene. We might need to to talk about that <laughs> one. Loop back a little bit, but I mean, I'm definitely going to bring that up. Uh, I think we both are in our snacks section for the restaurant. So uh, yeah. So don't yeah. worry. <laughs> we'll get there. Right, so, but it's about that character development. It's not about the basketball. It's not about the magic. It's about Calvin. Yeah, it's about his growth. Absolutely, his relationship with Tracy, his growth as a person. Him, because you know, we like we said, you know, we we have that whole kind of stretch where he's going to get adopted by the fancy family, the Boyds, and that scene displays that he doesn't fit in with them. And you know, uh, Tracy eventually wants to adopt him, um, and that's how it ends up—the happy ending. It's about that growth. It's about that relationship coming together for sure. Yeah, and I, I think I really liked the relationship with Tracy throughout the movie. Started off on bad terms after he schools him in basketball. They do have good chemistry, yep. Yeah, I think, you know, there's no shortage of Tracy Calvin dynamic going back and forth. You know, oh, great DMX scene. You didn't tell me your dad's dead. <laughs> you know, it's never just good. It gets a little good, but then it gets bad. But they never take it away. They put in the geometry scene, and then bam! I gotta, I gotta drop the paint on you. You know? Yes, yes. It, yeah, it, it, really, it really is well done for sure. Yeah, it's this push and pull throughout the whole movie, and they do a good job with that. Yeah, John John Schultz, the director of this, I respect you for this movie, uh, but I eternally hate you for remaking Adventures in Babysitting. You don't need to remake <laughs> a perfect movie. You do not need to remake a perfect movie. <laughs> you think he did it for the money? Oh, yeah, because it was a Disney Channel original movie. That's uh, that's where directors go to die, I feel. <laughs> <laughs> so so were there any other specific scenes that you want to talk about? I know the room service one. We'll get to that in our snacks for sure. But were there any other specific scenes you wanted to discuss? Because I think the next thing I want to bring up is some of the facts I found about the sequel to Like Mike. Okay, the only... Other thing I'd like to plug while we're talking about sure. the the Tracy Calvin relationship is just keeping with the theme of continuity and the way they just keep with continuity throughout the movie, right? The whole Tracy Calvin relationship starts with him again schooling Calvin schooling on Tracy. Yep, jumping thirty feet in the air. Yep, <laughs> and then yep, and then his first time, and, and then his first time in the NBA is he actually takes Tracy's spot. He comes up with this great play that they're going to make to win the game. And the coach says, Calvin, you take the shot. You take Tracy's spot. And Tracy, you make the pass to Calvin. The give and give and go. (laughs) The give and give and go. (laughs) But then in order for them to win – 
the playoff clinching game and Calvin loses his shoes in a dog pile, which it's good fun, but not enough. Yeah, it's good fun, but I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on that. Calvin loses his skills. And so he Tracy making the, the same play. Magic. Tracy, the sneakers were magic. <laughs> yup. <laughs> yup. And they have to make the same play. And so he makes the pass to Tracy. After they pass it back and forth five times, because that's something that could happen in an NBA game. <laughs> right? But I just love the way it comes full circle to now tr- Calvin's passing to Tracy, who makes the game-winning Dude, that, shot that's a good to point. win the big game. That, that's something I know. I think we talked about at the end of when we watched it. That That's really like, um, you know, tr- Tracy making that shot at the end is, is what needs to happen. Because cause this is right after Calvin says, he's like, my shoes are broken. I'm not going to play for you anymore. And I think I, on that topic, I also think that um, when that happened in the movie, when we watched it, I was like, Robert Forrester, the coach, should come in and go, bitch, that's not how contracts work. <laughs> <laughs> but but in, in the thematic license of the movie, you need Tracy to make that last shot because right. it is a perfect thematic comparison to him adopting Calvin at the end. Exactly. It, him making the shot in that final game that that you know guarantees Eugene Levy a job next season. Um, <laughs> that that's the same thing as him making the shot and being the one to adopt Calvin. Because you know now, just kind of the abstract thought of it is that we do get the scene earlier on where Tracy comes into the locker room and he's like, "Calvin, I got some big news," and you know that Tracy is like, "I want to adopt Calvin." Right, And he gets cut off because the Boyds come in and he's like, Tracy, I want you to meet the Boyds. They're going to adopt me. And Tracy's like, oh, yep. like I missed my shot. Like I lost that chance. And thematically that pairs up with him making the final shot in the big game because he does get to adopt Calvin. This, The more that we talk about this movie, it's a, it's a masterfully done movie. Like I, right? I might have said American masterpiece at the beginning out of some jokey nature. But it really is set up so perfectly. Yeah. They you know, they're constantly just ripping on Tracy and just, you know, yanking out his soul throughout this movie. They imagine a little kid taking your starting spot on the basketball yeah. team and then, oh, this kid's driving you home. All these things just so gut wrenching and then all right, you know what, I want to do a nice thing for this kid. <laughs> oh, too bad, Tracy. He's already adopted. You're just SOL. <laughs> And then Calvin carries the whole game. It's not until the end of the game that he loses his sneakers. Yep. It's really well done. Tracy, the sneakers were magic. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love that line. He's like, there's no time yeah. for jokes. And he's like, I'm not playing. <laughs> Can we also take a moment to appreciate that Eugene Levy is the perfect character to put his career on the line for Calvin playing oh, basketball? I, how, how did we not? We, I know I mentioned Eugene Levy at the start, but oh my god, Eugene Levy is the great Eugene Levy in this whole movie. He's, he's incredible. He's uh, he's almost like the the foil to Crispin Glover, where Crispin Glover is the greedy orphanage owner. Uh, Eugene Levy is also greedy, but in a beneficial way. He's just like, I just want our team to maintain our people. I want us all to have jobs. I don't want anybody to get turned over or fired. So I'm doing this – I'm doing a benefit for this kid where Crispin Glover is doing the negative for this kid. Eugene yep. Levy is just great in this movie. And we get to watch him just struggle with that decision, the whole movie of like, holy shit. Like my career's on the line yes. on this – on Calvin. 
It's wonderful. Oh yeah, especially like I love that scene where it's um it's it's Robert Forrester, the coach. It's Eugene Levy, and they're sitting on the opposite side of the desk of Crispin Glover, and they're like, "We want to offer you five thousand dollars for a one day contract for Calvin on the Knights." And Robert Forrester leans into Eugene Levy, and he's like. He's four, four and a half feet tall and 13 years old. And Eugene Levy goes, I know, isn't it great? (laughs) He's four and a half feet tall. I know. (laughs) Can you imagine the press we're going to get? Oh, man. That's something I will give this movie credit for is that, you know, they they don't don't, uh, shy away from any aspects of a team industry. Like, every team has its players, its coach, and its general manager. And the only thing this movie is missing is technically the owner of the Knights, which might play a role in in determining certain things, but it's not necessary. We really get a complete picture of the team of an NBA team, and and that's something that, you know, they didn't leave anything out just for sake of ease. They, They included all these characters to paint a complete picture of a basketball team. Absolutely. I'm I'm kind of shocked. You know, now that we had this discussion, this this might be a, a an example of like a near perfect movie. Like sure, I'm about to go watch this movie again right now. Yeah, like sure, we have the stupid Calvin's mesmerized by the wipers scene, which I think is a detriment. We don't need that. But yeah, everything that's else, a is, second and a half though. Everything else is on that level of how would this happen? Yes, of course. Ignore the logic leaps. No one questions magic sneakers. No one questions a four-foot kid jumping 30 feet in the air. But other than that, when you look over that, they're not pulling any punches. They are giving us a complete picture of the administration behind a basketball team. And and the reaction of the NBA and the character development. Yes, that goes along with the uh, all the commentators we see, where they're they're reacting to it in in a in a befuddled way. You know, like I think at the very early on, we get that uh, Thomas Tolbert says something like, "He's lean, he's mean, and he's 13. <laughs> yep. You get Jason Kidd talking about how he's gonna, you know, destroy Calvin, and then later on, you've got players asking him for his autograph. Yep. Oh my God, that's that joke. That joke makes no sense to me. But Dirk Nowitzki, Steve Nash, and one other person comes up to Calvin in like the the hallways behind the locker room, and Dirk Nowitzki's like, "Calvin, can I get your autograph?" And he goes, "Yeah, sure. Should I make it out to Dirk?" And he goes, "No, it's actually for my niece." And he goes, "Well, what's her name?" <laughs> uh, Dirk. <laughs> that's actually amazing. That like, was so good. It's like just. <laughs> Dirk Nowitzki, period, I think is just a goofy-looking human being. And seeing him act in this way, in this one minor <laughs> little joke, is absolutely fantastic. Hey, Calvin. Listen, man. Uh, can I get your autograph? Sure, Dirk. Uh, it's actually for my niece. What's her name? Uh, it's uh, Dirk. Man. And, yeah, and I think for the logic leaps, you know, we have to accept, if you're going to do like Mike, if you're going to have this kid put on some sneakers and be Michael Jordan, dude, don't try and over-explain that. Just don't even you're try. Right. Just just do it. You're right. And run with it. That's what makes this movie work is that it, it, it knows exactly what it is and it owns exactly what it is. We were talking about earlier the fact that you know there's no counter magic, whether it be from another person or a detriment to Calvin when he uses these sneakers. That's fine. That is, that is literally yep. like this movie might be – Comparing it to, I haven't seen a lot of kids' movies in recent years, but just movies in general, 
this movie might be the best case and example for Occam's Razor. The simpler path is the better path because it lets this story breathe way yep. more than anything that would be bogged down with rules and counter magic and, and detriments. This movie just lets it be what it wants to be because you got a kid with magic sneakers and his antagonist is a greedy orphanage owner. That's all you need. That's perfect. <laughs> it's And it's fun. It's so much fun. Oh yeah, oh yeah, good fun. Good. That, I'm glad you brought that up for sure. That was uh, that was definitely something that needed uh, needed the discussion. With that being said, anything else that you've thought of for this movie before I start to talk about the sequel? I think that's all I got, man. Okay, so uh, in 2006, there was a direct to video sequel of Like Mike. <laughs> um, I had never heard about this. I had never seen it until you know researching Like Mike. It is called Like Mike Two. Streetball. <laughs> I think we mentioned earlier it stars. Um, so I guess, I guess before we say that, um, it is directed and written by completely different people. None of the original cast returns, and none of the events from the first film are mentioned. What a shame! Exactly. That that's my problem. And to to to, to expand on that. The shoes get hit by lightning again. There's, <laughs> there's not even a mention that they're the same shoes. For all intents and purposes, this movie wants us to think, since the shoes got busted up at the end of the first movie, that this is a different pair of MJ sneakers that get hit by lightning again. That is, so that's what they go on. They, I don't we like got that. another pair of MJs, and they get hit by lightning again. You, you cannot do a sequel... That just completely reboots it. You need to continue on. Like we said before, the sequel should have been someone else gets a magic pair of sneakers and it's Calvin versus this other dude. And and you could, even as stupid as that sounds, you could play off the fact that you have two NBA teams. Maybe that's maybe that's the pitch. It's the, it's the seven-game series of the championships. Both teams have a little kid with magic shoes on them. And they both yeah. know that they have magic shoes. And you could get into the, the subversive kind of psychological idea of, well, you know, how does one kid take away the magic shoes of the other? Like, you don't need an orphanage villain like Crispin Glover. You just need their adversarialness. That would be great. I would watch the shit out of that movie. <laughs> There's so much they could have done with it. They could have chosen, a di like you said, a different <laughs> basketball player. Shit, we could be doing like LeBron right now, just like we're doing yep. Space Jam 2. But nobody's talking about like Mike. Nobody's oh. trying to do another like Mike right now. They're trying to do another Space Jam. We're going to hope that this podcast reinvigorates like Mike so that, one, it gets a Blu-ray release. And, uh, two, it gets a sequel, a true sequel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That that's our biggest hope on this podcast. But let's yeah, for, so, let's forget about like Mike too. Let's do a real like someone else. I don't care. Pick pick like Carmelo. I'm cool yeah, with it. Yeah, yeah. You know, let's just you know let's let's just see what else we can do with the concept because there's a lot there. Absolutely. So I was very shocked to see that. Like I said, I've never seen this film. Maybe I'll search it out one day and watch it. But it seems like it does not live up to anything. Oh, like this Kobe. Like Kobe, what if we did a like Kobe. That would take off right now. That would be great. But you gotta, you gotta give respect to Kobe when you do it. Because... Exactly. That's the tough part. Because yeah, how do you, you know, we get a scene in in the first like Mike that we discussed where um, uh, Tracy Reynolds brings um, the woman back to his his room. How do you do that tastefully for Kobe? 
Because, of course, Justin, Kobe was accused of rape many times. Okay, all right. How, how do we... So it's going to be a balance let's... if we did like Kobe. Like LeBron Look. Might, might be a little more straight and narrow. And also, like yeah. LeBron, the two L's, the alliteration of that title, that that could work. You know I'm all for the like LeBron, but while we're talking a little bit about scandals, Michael Jordan's biggest vice was gambling. Oh, Hitler mustache. Oh, gambling. Okay, my bad. Ga- gambling. <laughs> that man was a gambling fiend. Sure. There's a lot you can read about it, but they had no shame in the the, the orphanage runner is going to you know go on a gambling run. That's going to be the whole big climax and the whole big ah. culmination of the conflict. That's an that's an interesting idea. It's different with Kobe though in these days. But I feel like with that with that idea of a sequel, you're taking a note from like like we said our Space Jam because Space Jam made fun of the fact that after Michael Jordan played basketball, he wanted to play baseball, and that was funny. And they they really just like lampoon that. And so let's say the sequel to Like Mike is we're lampooning the fact that Michael Jordan was in Haynes commercials. <laughs> Like, like let that that could that's a really good idea. I like that. I don't think we have the idea fleshed out completely, but you know, There's taking something. it from from professional sports star to commercial star or TV star or TV personality, that would be interesting for sure. So, so you're saying we need Bow Wow to find another pair of Jordans and start doing commercials? I would love. I would absolutely <laughs> love a sequel to Like Mike with current aged Bow Wow. That would be amazing. <laughs> like, I don't want another kid. I want it to be, like, literally, like, the 18 years after the fact. <laughs> and they would reference. Yeah. They'd be like, remember when I was on the L.A. Knights and I caused us to get into the playoffs? And, dude, the whole movie <laughs> the whole movie could talk about, like, how the L.A. Knights did in the playoffs without Calvin. That would be great. I hope they bomb, by the way, if, we, <laughs> if this happens. <laughs> I hope they just Dude, don't even make it out of the first round. That would be that would be such an amazing scene where it's we get you know Calvin and Tracy Reynolds yelling at each other. Where Calvin's like, "I needed to live my life. The shoes were magic, Tracy." And Tracy's like, "You let us out to dry. We lost in the first series, the first round of the playoffs." Like, oh my god, it would be it, it could be a gritty, dramatic reboot of Like Mike. I love it. <laughs> There's so much here. There's so much that could be done. Yes. But they fucked it up. They did a, they just rehashed the story in a straight to video sequel, which That which, sucked. I, I know, and I I've never seen it, but from what I've read, it sucks. And the only things I have to say about it are the people who are in it. Of course, we get Budget Bow Wow, whose name I didn't even write down. He just kind of looks like Bow Wow. <laughs> but apparently, from what I've read, Kel Mitchell is in it. So oh, from, from Keenan and Kel. Keenan and Kel. Who I loves like orange Kel soda? I love orange soda. I do, I do, I do. Justin and I actually uh, not too long ago watched a Good Burger together. Remember that? <laughs> oh, I'll never forget. And, and that was – we could do another two hours on Good Burger right yeah, we now. Were, we were shocked by being reminded that fucking Carmen Electra is in that movie. <laughs> Who, by the way, has regained popularity? I love that – she regained popularity with us because we were like, holy shit, Carmen Electra. I haven't thought of her in like 15 years from Good Burger. Yep. The world's talking about Carmen Electra because of the Michael Jordan documentary going around oh, last dance. She's she's trending, bro. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. OK. That might. OK. OK. Oh, my God. We might need to do it. 
might need to do a Good Burger episode because I also remember <laughs> uh, if anybody has watched Good Burger when they were a kid and they don't remember it, we are not kidding you. There is a dance number, a musical number, in a mental asylum of the song Super oh, Freak yeah. by Rick James. That is a literal moment in that movie. <laughs> that movie was incredible. I was so impressed. I remembered it like I didn't remember anything from that movie before we watched it, and I was blown away. That yeah, so that's a good point. I'm glad you bring that up. Uh, that might be our that might be your next spot on Cinemodities when we go to Good Burger because I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly, Zach has told me he does not like Good Burger. When was the last time you watched it? Exactly. That's the question. <laughs> if he hasn't watched it recently, then he it's should, it's he should try and reserve judgment. You know, give it a go. Yes. So, yeah. So, apparently in Like Mike 2, Kel Mitchell is in it. I don't really know to what capacity. Um, the other thing, there's a cameo by Mark Cuban. So, Mark Cuban, of course, is the owner of oh. the Dallas Mavericks and also one of the panelists on Shark Tank. And yes. I bring this up because very frequently, Justin, um, just so you know, for, for your um, your knowledge, back in the day when we were trying to get the Cinemodities restaurant started, uh, Mark Cuban was one of the initial investors. Oh, okay. Yes. Uh, the other thing I had to bring up, which might be incredibly obscure, and I don't know if Justin knows about, one of the little kids in Like Mike 2 is played by Brett Kelly. Brett Kelly is best known for playing... Thurman Merman in Bad Santa. Have you ever seen Bad Santa? Oh, I think I have, but... So so the premise of Bad Santa is that uh, Billy Billy Bob Thornton, as as a Santa, he gets a job at a, as a mall Santa, and uh, he's, and he's using, a drunk, right? He is a drunk. He's a drunk, he's a sex addict, but he's using that position as a mall Santa where him and his crony who plays the elf are able to... Um, you know, get access to the mall and rob stores in the mall. So the, when when he moves to this town, he starts banging this kid's mother. Like, that's where he gets to stay. He's banging this kid's mother. The kid's name nice. is Thurman Merman. <laughs> Not only is that a great joke, but let me tell you the best moment in Bad Santa. Bad okay. Santa, it's established. Like the first 20 minutes, I think it's got to be like an hour 45, maybe an hour 50. It's not too long. But in like the first 20 minutes, the whole movie is set up where he gets the job as the Santa. He's a drunk. He starts banging Thurman Merman's mom, and she lets him stay <laughs> in his house. And and the whole movie, like Thurman Merman looks up to Bad Santa, to Billy Bob Thornton. And Billy Bob Thornton's like, I don't give a fuck about you, kid. Like, I'm, I'm just here to rob shit. He's, I think he's, he's a safe cracker. Like, that's his ability. Three quarters of the way into the movie, like in the middle of the third act of the movie— Thurman Merman comes to him and he's like, Billy Bob Thornton, like I got, I did really well on my report card. Like I, like I did well in school. And he shows it to Billy Bob Thornton, to Bad Santa. And literally, these two characters have been interacting for over an hour and 15 minutes. And Billy Bob Thornton looks at the report card and goes, who the fuck is Thurman Merman? <laughs> and the kid goes, that's me. And he's like, your name is Thurman Merman? <laughs> Like, it's a late third act joke that Billy Bob Thornton never knew this kid's name. And it is amazing. (laughs) That's so good. So, yes, in, in, so Thurman Merman, Brett Kelly, is in Like Mike (laughs) 2. Wow. 
Well, I'm is, glad he at least moved on up from Like Mike too. This is the only reason I think I want to see this movie is to see someone playing basketball because he's a, he's a, he's, a, he's a fat white kid. I want to see him and be like, that's Thurman Merman playing basketball. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, he plays basketball in the movie? Yeah, because he, he was a kid still at the time of this movie, Like Mike 2, 2006. I think Bad Santa oh, was 2000. Bert doesn't play basketball in Like Mike. Mm, that's a good point. He might be the friend. I don't know for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess I'll have to check it out. Tune in next week for Like Mike <laughs> 2 Streetball. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, no, that, that's good. That's good. So that that was all I had to say about the sequel. Um, I think I think we think they they did it wrong. Um, tune in in a few years when Justin and I sell our screenplay for the true Like Mike sequel because I think Lil Bow Wow is still acting. I think he's been in stuff since you know this when he's older. Um, How much could he cost? I mean, come on, we could we could pull this off. Yeah, exactly. We could pull up. Remember, I was talking about the movie Bowfinger. We could film a movie with him without his knowledge in it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> So yeah, tune in tune in a, a month or so when Justin and I give us an update on how our our true sequel to Like Mike is coming into play. With that <laughs> being said, are you ready, Justin, to be the first? Well, technically, te- te- not the first. Um, we had a we had an episode where Rob was not involved, where Zach interviewed some urban explorers and asked them these same questions. So technically, oh. the second special guest on this podcast to talk about our real questions. Are you ready? I've never been more ready, Rob. Okay. So we always start with uh, Cinemodities and Late Night. And so just because uh, I think it's good always to um, kind of recover this, not only for Justin's sake but for our audience because we always kind of just breeze into it. Um, we always classify movies as two things, Cinemodities or a, a, a cinemodity, or a late-night movie. And it's not one or the other. It could be both. It could be neither. It could be one or the other. The cinemodity status is its status as a cinematic oddity. And this is very much a classification. Late-night is slightly different in that we are talking about a recommendation, you might take it as. So, so with that in mind, I'll kick things off. Um, and Justin, don't change your answers based on what I say. You know, we can be split, That I think, for... 95% of our episodes, Zach and I disagree on these things. Um, but for cinemodities, for cinematic oddity, I am actually going to say no. I think this is a rather straightforward kids' fantasy movie. It is good fun, but nothing here really makes it odd to me. We really just get a straight-through-and-through kids' movie that's going to make them feel good, wholesome, and have a good time. For that exact same reason, I'm going to say to Late Night Movie, definitely. Justin and I already did it. <laughs> how, how could I say no <laughs> if we already watched this Late Night Movie? I've gone on a lot of times on record on this podcast, and I say Late Night Movies are something that you watch with your buddies late at night. It's going to give you laughs. It's going to give you points of discussion. And I think not only when we did watch it together, but this conversation as a whole makes it a definite Late Night Movie. So I'm going no to Cinemodities and yes to Late Night. Don't let that influence you, Justin. You can disagree with me as much as you want. What were your thoughts on Cinemodity and Late Night Movie? All right, so we'll start with Cinemodity here. You know, I watched this movie and it has some incredibly novel things. I'm talking magical shoes that let you play in the NBA, no counter magic, Bow Wow jumping 30 feet like a maniac. (laughs) And I was leaning towards Cinemodity. I really okay. was. 
But then you sent me the intro, and it's like bizarre, abnormal, off kilter for contemporary audiences. I'm like, I mean, come on, we got Bow Wow playing basketball. That's not a cinemodity. It's just not. It just doesn't. Fair. Is it? Is it beautiful? Do I love it? Absolutely. I don't think it fits the bill for cinemodity, though. Okay, interesting, interesting. We came to the same conclusion. Uh, I, with what you just said, I'm assuming uh, that you're going to be in the positive sense for late night. Oh, I, you already said it. Man, <laughs> come on. This kid is in the hotel ordering room service at <laughs> night, getting fat, spilling wine. Tracy's going out talking to chicks. It's good fun. That's a late night movie. Right. It's a movie to eat some snacks, have a good time, and watch. Okay, I dig it. Good, good. Right on. You did a you did a good job with your first time in answering the questions, Justin. The, oh, the thank you. The burden now comes on me uh, because we uh, Zach and I do keep a spreadsheet where we I record all of our answers to these questions and all of our snacks. I'm going to have to figure out because we have one column for Rob, one column for Zach. I'm going to have to figure out how to add a column for Justin. or if i just replace the zach column for certain episodes but that is all on me so with those questions being answered we get to the uh point that everybody is waiting for we have to talk about well what do we know about this movie what have we learned that is going to impact the cinemodities restaurant and so i said at the start justin i gave you some information about the cinemodities restaurant but before we get on to our specific snacks and events or things for the restaurant for this movie, I have to mention that we, Cinemodities, received an email not too long ago with a business proposal from one of our uh, common commentators, Maximo. So I know Justin does not know Maximo, but he's come up on this podcast before. He's an avid listener. He sends us emails regularly, and he has pitched us a business proposition. And I'm going to read his email now, and as I read it, Justin, I want you to absorb what he's saying because everything he's saying about the restaurant is true, and this will teach you a little more about the Cinemati's restaurant. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. Okay. So he emailed us with the subject restaurant business proposal. And since I know Maximo's emails, I was just like, okay, I'm ready to go. What has he got for us? (laughs) And it reads as follows. Hello, my name is Maximo, and I would like to introduce myself. I sell insurance for Time Vortex restaurants such as yours. I know it can be hard to loose employees. Another thing, Justin, just so you know, quick aside, uh, I regularly make fun of when we read emails on the podcast, I make fun of them because they use bad grammar. He means lose employees, but he wrote loose employees. No good, very Maximo. bad, don't do it. <laughs> oh, anyway, Maximo. So I know it can be hard to lose employees on a daily basis, whether they were, he means were, not good enough, and a better version of them exploded out of their chest, or they have to dress up like Jason and murder somebody. It is hard, and I imagine you have many lawsuits on a daily basis, whether someone found their grandmother's bones in the bone pit or the Vox Lux animatronics went berserk. Uh, another quick aside, we, do, we don't have a, um, a ball pit. We have a bone pit. Like, like kids can take a little slide into a pile of bones. Um, more on that in a little bit, maybe. He continues on to say, I offer you an insurance for that. Let's say, hypothetically, one of your employees wasn't good enough 
Well, what happened to him? A better staff member was born out of him. Now that's a new person in a few seconds. And if the government found out you were capable of creating life, they would shut you down. But if you contact me, I could handle that person's paperwork and birth certificate, and I could also handle the other employees' deaths. It's as easy as a car accident. Now what do you say? Are you going to ignore the chance of a lifetime? I will wait for your answer in the next episode. Sincerely, Maximo. And, as a P.S., he says, P.S., postscript, do you know the number to heaven? Do you ever think about mom? Yeah. I do. I miss her so much. <laughs> you know, you really remind me of your mother sometimes. You think we'd call her? Do you know the number to heaven? So just just initial thoughts, because Justin's a, a newcomer to this podcast. Um, what what do you feel about our restaurant right now? Because I, I'm I'm okay. also legitimately like this. What I read is a legitimate email we received. I, I'm not I did not write that and say it with somebody else. We legitimately received those words in an email. That's what this right, restaurant I've, podcast have led to. I've I've got a whirlwind of emotions right now. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. I'm going to start with the anger I feel towards you. How are you going to ask my opinion on this place and never have taken me for a tour? Well, oh, well, that's a good point. You know, it, it's you, be- know, you know, my dad actually worked on the original Mars 2021 restaurant. That's a good. That's a good question, Justin. I, I, I'm, I'm willing to place the blame over to you and that if you had ever listened to a full episode of our podcast earlier, you would have known that this was coming. <laughs> you know, I only listened for the yams jokes. Uh, yes. yes. <laughs> when I, when I send you the, the Thanksgiving episodes that have the full, you are my sunshine song. <laughs> it's not okay. I'm, I'm man. That, that, okay. That's fair. That's I want to that... jump in the bone pit. I so that, I give you that. So the next time we are both in New York, uh, we will. I'll have to give you the tour because uh, a previous episode when Ben was on here, we talked about not only uh, the restaurant but adding a VIP room. And you, you as a guest of the podcast, would certainly be welcome to the VIP room and a tour. You just have to I, understand that the tour might not lead you to the exit again. Well, then I just get free food for life. I yeah. mean, geez, that's whoa, a good whoa, trade-off. Hold, hold up, you know, we've also talked about that. Uh, it's still not free. Um, we've been taking people's uh, stay-at-home order checks at $1,200 for two days' worth of food. As a VIP, oh, you'll see the havoc I can wreak if I don't get free food. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. As I've said before um, to, to other, other fans of the show, to other VIPs, you know, you're, you're a good friend. We know each other. We love each other. Uh, so I'll make it 20% more expensive because we're friends. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. You bring up a good aspect, Justin, that, you know, you might have not gotten a tour, but uh, you do, you are owned that one day because there's a, there's a lot going on in the restaurant that you are not privy to. And uh, I think that you would really enjoy whether it's actual food or literal like bodies being carried out of the restaurant. I think you'd enjoy it. Yeah. As long as the booze is good. (sighs) be having the time that's, that's, I think, i'm glad you say that so uh 
So, uh, many people on this podcast know uh, Zach is a straight-edge person. He doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, doesn't do any of that stuff. He's, he's just a great, inquisitive mind. Rob is the complete opposite. It's been said many times on here. He's an alcoholic. Uh, there's been a few episodes, actually, Justin, where Rob has recorded them just shit-faced, and Zach is not happy about it. Um, there are some snacks that awesome. I've pitched. Uh, I, like, I've pitched gin. I've pitched whiskey <laughs> I, i've pitched just you know, gin just alcohol <laughs> so that is on our menu um and i believe if i remember correctly we have a bar at the cinemati's restaurant um and the bartenders are required to do like the flips and shit like you know like imagine like a um like a tom cruise uh what was that movie um bartender was it bartender no it wasn't whatever it was but you know you've seen bartenders where they're like they flip the things they're shaking the things they're doing all the theatrics we specifically hire bartenders to do that that don't know how to do that oh so like like constantly shakers are getting dropped into people's (laughs) plates they're like hitting them in the face you know all that stuff so but we do have alcohol so so i'll give you that one it may have shards of glass but it's there (laughs) that's what keeps that's what keeps your intestines strong the oh yeah. Of glass. <laughs> okay, okay. Okay. Other other things okay. from that email that you so, might have questions. Fury aside, at you, I must say I am in awe at the ingenuity of this Maximo. Oh, it's he's great. clearly the next Elon Musk, <laughs> and you need to partner with this dude ASAP. I, I, I think mean, that that is on. getting to where I um I want to answer his question. He he posed this to us. We had two paragraphs of what he does. Um, and then he says, now, what do you say? Are you going to ignore the chance of a lifetime? I, you know, Maximo has been with us for a while. He's, uh, he's given us some good feedback and some good ideas. This might be, um, one of the best ideas that Zach and I have not come up with. We, we have come up with some legality kind of, uh, catches for our restaurant, but we've never come up with insurance in this way. Um, everything has kind of been retroactive. This seems a little more proactive, so my only question is, you know, Maximo, as Justin knows, I have some training in the field of actuarial science. You have not given me enough information to agree to this yet. Because as he starts his email, he says, I sell insurance for time vortex restaurants such as yours. The actuary in me wants to know, what goddamn data does he have about infinite time vortex restaurants like ours? <laughs> How can you get... Uh, to speak in terms, you know, Justin's aware of. How can you get a confidence interval about this shit? How can you get a hypothesis test with with any amount of power if if you don't have that book of business for time vortex infinite void restaurants? Now, be careful, my friend. What I, what it sounds like you're revealing is that you're not aware of the market you're in. <laughs> no, Yet this maximum no, is we're, keenly we're... intertwined with various other time. Vortex. That's a good point. I think I think that we, Zach and I, we were the disruptors of this market. We were the first. What else knowledge does he have? That's where I'm pushing back. Is that our knowledge? Bro, he's the the Samuel L. Jackson of the Avengers. (laughs) (laughs) I would like to recruit you for the Time Vortex Restaurant Initiative. So, so Maximo, my answer, because I have, ever since I got this email a little over a week ago at the time of this recording, I did respond to Maximo and I said, um, this email is hilarious. I I do want to give, in all seriousness, um, this is fantastic. I love this, this idea that he, 
he you know spent the time to think of and write out, and I I laughed my ass off. Um, I I monitor the email. Zach does not, so I I. I sent this to Zach almost immediately as I read it because I was like, this is absolute fucking comedy gold for what our <laughs> stupid stick of the podcast is. But, um, you know, I, I can't answer this just in the sense of how much I love it. I need more information. I need to know what's his company. Who are his actuaries? What book of business do they have? Who are their underwriters? Like, like I, I can't just agree to this, especially because, like he said, his, his call to action is, are you going to ignore the chance of a lifetime? That's what fucking Allstate sends me when they want me to buy their insurance, you know? That's fair. We need some qualifications. Exactly. I need I need to see the certs. Yes. So, Maximo, we love what you've given us. We would love to have insurance like this, but we need to better understand the financial predicament we're getting into ourselves with this insurance. Because he didn't, he didn't say, what's our premiums? What's our payout? <laughs> You know, of course, he says we can we can you know create birth certificates and stuff for people because I don't know if you noticed, Justin. He talks a lot in this email about how um, bad employees are birthed into new and better employees. That yeah, it sounds like a good business model to me. That's a more recent thing that came up last month when we talked about Alien. Uh, whenever we have so there's a, there's a little portion of our restaurant where we genetically engineer uh, eggs. And and the eggs hatch and they create face huggers from alien. You know the thing that latches onto your face and it puts a tube down your throat and impregnates you. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. We we do that. If we ever have a bad employee, we sick a face hugger on them, <laughs> and the bad employee's chest explodes and it grows a better employee. So he he's oh, not wrong when he says you know you're gonna need you're gonna need paperwork for that person that new employee. You're gonna need you know a birth certificate. You can't have these undocumented workers. Just because they were born from documented workers, and I agree with him, we do need that stuff, but we need more information about the 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 payments, the premiums, the turnaround on this stuff, all that stuff. So, Max, you need pie charts. I you need. You need... <laughs> I like that you started with pie charts. We need pie charts. <laughs> a pie chart of what? What would a pie chart tell us? <laughs> <laughs> that's not for me to decide i'm not making the proposition but okay, any okay, good I'll... any good proposition comes with a terrible pie chart in I... my business experience <laughs> <laughs> now that's good any business proposition comes with a terrible pie chart because justin and i know pie charts are like the most useless graphs in existence <laughs> but as long as you got one you hit that quota <laughs> Upper management is drooling. Oh, my God. Okay, that's good. But, yes, I think overall, in terms of the restaurant, uh, we we need more information, Maximo. We're not saying we're against working with you. And even though don't, – don't take it the wrong way that uh, Justin and I are talking about this, where Justin, of course, has no stake in the restaurant. Zach and I are the owners <laughs> and operators. We, we are agreeing – Justin is a good consultant for this. So Yes, we I'm are an in, independent consultant. We are in favor of this idea, but we need more information. We need a, a business report. We need to know where your data is coming from for Time Vortex Infinite Restaurants. <laughs> I've done the actuarial science. I know there's no data on that. We're flying by the seat of our pants over here. <laughs> That's why Zach's gone, has to work on, you know, keeping the cops at bay. You know how many cold cases they solved because of our bone pit? That's no good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so so with that being said, I had to read that email uh, because we 
We always love emails about the restaurant, uh, for sure, and Maximo has is uh, no stranger to that. With that being said, we can get into now that you have this idea, Justin. You know that what you are pitching when we talk about snacks is going to be something that we incorporate into the restaurant. I have uh, one, two, three, three snacks, it looks like. I don't know how many you had, but I would love to throw it over to you with uh, this new uh, idea of what we're going for. What snacks or menu items or events, what features would you like to pitch for the Cinemodities restaurant? Okay, naturally, I was not properly prepared for such a such a keen insight that's expected no and i i guess that should but be i'm gonna said give you that, what uh, i'm gonna give you what i got when i when i like told justin about he was like what do i need to do to be on this podcast i was like well you know i'm gonna give you structure um but then you know you're gonna have to talk about cinemodity late night and snacks and then i was like there's an aspect of snacks i'm not gonna tell you and he was like what and i was like this needs to be cold and that was the fact that this is a podcast about owning and operating a restaurant <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, just come up with some you snacks, you know? You can't just give come that up with away. some snacks. <laughs> I needed to I'm blindside like you. <laughs> I can't say popcorn now. I gotta, I'm gonna say popcorn. No, I got something. I got a good okay. snack for you. Okay. Okay. So, given, like Mike, the plot does not exist without chocolate, and specifically. Calvin selling mm. chocolate to the coach. My my snack is chocolate inspired. Ooh, so what, would you say chocolate bars or something else with chocolate? Chocolate bars, but not just any chocolate bars. Okay. Now building on the idea that Calvin and Murph would have never gotten adopted, and Reg would have gotten adopted if she were involved with the paint throwing, instead of candy covered chocolates. I'm talking paint-covered chocolate bars. <laughs> First time on Cinemodities, getting the restaurant thrown at him, Justin comes up with something exactly in the vein of what we <laughs> wanted our restaurant. Paint-covered chocolate bars. I did not have that one. That is fucking amazing. My only question <laughs> for you is, because I do have paint involved in my snacks, is the paint lead-based? Oh, and it's got asbestos in it. <laughs> <laughs> Lead-based paint-covered chocolate bars with a sprinkling of asbestos. <laughs> Snickers bars, too. I want these to be Snickers. That is fucking amazing. You nailed it. You hit, that, that, that's a fucking home run. That's exactly what this restaurant is about. Because I know I didn't mention it earlier in this discussion, but one of the things is we don't care about our customers. <laughs> There are many food items that will cause customers to die or at least become very sick, and you have hit the nail on the fucking head. That's amazing. Okay, okay. Lead-based paint-covered chocolate bars with asbestos. I love it. And Snickers bars. Did you have any other snacks? That's all I got. Okay, so so on my end, I have a few. I, I guess I'll start with the paint one because... Uh, that's what led me to ask about lead-based paint, uh, because my <laughs> my paint snack or event involved lead-based paint, because that's just a that's just how we do it. Um, so so uh, I think something I didn't explain earlier, even though I mentioned it, um, you know, the bone pit. You know, little kids can ride a slide into a bone pit instead of a ball pit. This is actually a segment of our restaurant which is specifically for children. 
So we have the Cinemodities restaurant as a whole, but a specific portion of that is is basically like a, a daycare. And I'm putting as many quotes around daycare as you can imagine. <laughs> where where the parents can drop their children off while they have a dinner, you know, just for them. Um, this portion of the restaurant is called Sin E Modities. Do you get it? Oh. Like Chuck E. Cheeses? We just took our name and did Sin E. Modities? <laughs> <laughs> Not with an S? Like S-I-N? Or no, it, no, it's still C-I-N, but it's pronounced Sin. Sin okay. E. Modities. <laughs> so this is the kids section of our restaurant. And my thought when I was watching this movie and coming up with snacks was, well, why don't we have a portion of the Sin E. Modities part of the restaurant where we can teach kids about the names of triangles, just like Tracy does? <laughs> And they, and then the kids, if they want, can have paint fights. The only thing is the paint is going to be lead-based. So what I'm saying in no – I'm not putting in kinder terms than I just did. That was the restaurant pitch. I want children pouring lead-based paint <laughs> over other children. It's perfect, right? <laughs> right in the theme of like Mike, I would Ab- say. Absolutely. Other than that, uh, going away from the sin e modities part of the restaurant, the kids' portion, I had uh, two snacks for the regular part of the restaurant. And uh, one is a menu item uh, which goes off of the room service scene that we mentioned. I would like on our menu the item, an absolutely humongous sandwich. Because you remember, Justin, in that scene... When oh, Calvin orders, yeah. When he, when he eats all the food and he's stuck, he's laying on the floor, there is a sandwich partially eaten. It's not even the whole sandwich, so it was bigger <laughs> when it started. This partially eaten sandwich is bigger than Bow Wow's head. It's yeah. huge. Yeah. This boy was mowing on some room service. So this is one of the things that I want to pitch to the restaurant that's actually edible, like a, just a humongous sandwich. And from what I could tell, it was it was two good pieces of bread. There was a lot of lettuce, a lot of tomato. It looked like there might have been turkey on it. It was like a white meat, so it could have been like cold-cut turkey or cold-cut chicken. It wasn't dark enough to be ham, I think. I think I saw a little bit of bacon, but that's a solid sandwich. <laughs> and it's huge. <laughs> that shit was massive. So, so the other, the last snack I have is uh, something we've talked about before at the Cinemati's restaurant. We have introduced a few eating competitions. Just, just to remind our audience and to tell Justin, one of our eating competitions is that people have pie and ice cream put on their head, and they need to <laughs> literally eat through their skull to get to what it. the fuck. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> this is this is not a joke that came from our our Gili episode back uh, when we talked about Gili, one of the fantastic movies of all time. Uh, but but yeah, our eating competitions have always been rather detrimental. Where if you can do it, you're probably going to die. If you can't do it, you get put on the wall of shame. I want to pitch an eating competition from this film that I think is actually doable, which is a first for our restaurant. The eating competition is that whoever competes, you know, like let's say you got a customer comes in, they sit down, and they say, I want to perform the Like Mike eating competition. They have a certain amount of time to eat everything that we see and hear Calvin order from room service. So this is the giant sandwich, lobster tails, chicken fingers, french fries, cake, pepperoni pizza, Jello, fruit salad, 
And there's stuff I couldn't even write down because the scene goes up so quickly. So that, this man that... says it's doable. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think you know that. You know, well, compared to you need to literally bust your tongue through the roof of your mouth to get to your skull, this is doable compared to that, right? <laughs> oh, man. Do they wash it down with, with grape juice in wine glasses? Exactly. That, that would be their liquid, the grape juice in the wine glass. Absolutely. That would be their um. That would be their 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 saturation effect. You know, like uh, Joey Chestnut and uh, what's his name, whatever the the, oh. the, two, the two famous hot dog eating people. They're like they're yeah, like, yeah, you hawkish show or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad, I was gonna say Miyazaki, which is wrong. Miyazaki is the director of like Totoro and Spirited Away. <laughs> but I'm glad I'm glad you said Yu Hakusho show because now we're both equally wrong. <laughs> It's Kobayashi. It's Kobayashi. Kobe. Yes, yes, Kobayashi. Yeah, they, they're the ones who are like, we eat, we eat the hot dog, and then we dip the buns in water to make it go down easier. That's a strat. That's a mad. A that's a mad food strat right there. And you can do that with the grape juice in this competition. But I want to add the caveat: it's going to be the most acidic grape juice you've ever tasted. <laughs> We're not making this easy on people, okay? Oh man. I love the fact that I have bl- I have successfully blindsided Justin. I can never do this again because if he's ever on this podcast, we're going to have to talk about snacks in the future. But I've completely blindsided him to the pure insanity and infinite void concept of this restaurant. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's quality. Yeah, it's and, quality. and Justin, if you ever find your way uh, during this whole, whole stay-at-home and travel ban and whatever, if you find your way over to Manhattan, you know, twenty Mars 2112, that space, uh, there's a spot in the VIP room for you. Uh, we just don't know if that means you'll have to pay less. I, I, guess, I guess a good thing, though, is that if you do find the exit, um, all of our customers, upon finding the exit, they get a free bump of cocaine. Oh, okay. Yeah, so so that that that's that's the um, incentive, I guess. You also have to go through the cinema to these restaurant gift shop. Oh, which, of course I do. Which uh, which has oh god, there's a whole bunch of things in there. But um, I get I guess just just as a just as a heads up, since Zach's not here, um, <laughs> if you see in the in the gift shop a round object that you could swing around your ra- in around your waist in a like a rhythmic fashion. Like a hula hoop? No! Oh, you fucking ruined it. Oh, they're, I... they're not hula hoops. <laughs> oh, they are the Cinemodities wacky circumferences. <laughs> I hope, I hope that there's someone. I know I'm blindsiding Justin with this shit. I hope there is at least one person in our audience that has listened to all of our episodes and they understand all the references I'm making. Because <laughs> literally, the thing in our restaurant is, if you try and buy one and you call it a hula hoop, we will not sell it to you. You need to call it a wacky circumference. <laughs> so, can I argue with the with the with the cashier about my purchase? Oh, you can. I don't know how much good that will do you, <laughs> but but you can. <laughs> we we do have a um we do have a security guard in the form of Nelson De La Rosa. I don't know if Justin is familiar with Nelson De La Rosa. Uh, he is uh, at one point in time, I think in the nineties, he was the shortest person to ever live. Um, he, he runs around the restaurant and he punches people in their crotches. So, so if you, if you are arguing with a cashier or a waiter or anybody, Nelson Delarosa will come up and punch you in the dick. 
Make sure I'm wearing a cup. Got it. <laughs> now, now that's the ingenuity I like to hear. That's that uh, cleverness sh- of Calvin sitting on a uh, a spare tire right there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll wear a steel cup. He's gonna hurt his fist. So, so I guess at the uh, the end of this, um, uh, is there any questions you had about the restaurant, about the podcast, anything like that? Or are we ready for the final little bit of this episode? Anything else you want to you want to talk about, Justin? Man, we we covered a lot. I, we I did. think I got it out of my system, and I also threw you a lot um, for sure. You did. <laughs> you certainly did. All right. So at the end of every episode, there is a very important question. But before we get to that question, uh, I wanted to ask you, Justin, since you are a new host on this podcast. Is there anything you wanted to plug? Are there any usernames, locales uh, that you wanted to let our audience know that they can find you at? And anything you pitch here, I will put in the song notes, uh, sorry, the episode notes as well. Anything you want to share with our audience where they can find you and reach out to you for any reason? Well, the, the audience already has the most important piece of information to identify me. That would be my first name. <laughs> True. But the other important piece of information would be about how terrible I am at chess, and I'm getting better. So if anyone's bored out of their mind True. during the whole coronavirus thing, you can find me on chess.com and beat me if you're any good at chess. If you're not, then I'll beat you. It'll be great. Either way, it'll be great. You've already beaten me twice, so... It's true, but you said you hadn't played in 15 years. So. That is also true, yeah. And the second game, I got way too into my head, like we discussed afterwards. Like, I got I got way yeah. too strategic. I didn't let it flow like I should have. There's also some alcohol involved, which I'm sure oh, I've didn't never help. Drank, drank alcohol in my life before. Oh, oh. <laughs> edit, edit that one out. Edit that one. So, so where can they find you on chess.com? I don't know how chess.com works. Is it, is it a username? Is it an email? What? I'm pretty sure you just look me up and send me a friend request. I don't know because, again, I don't play that much. Okay, but I've been just... playing. It's been fun. You can look me up as Salmon Berry. Like Salmon One like word, the Fish? Uh, salmon Like the Fish okay. Berry. One word. No, no caps or anything. And Berry as the fruit? B-E-R-R-Y? That's it. Okay, okay, yeah. yeah. I will include this in the show notes uh, just so you have uh, – the audience has a link to uh, reach out to you for sure. Um, but Justin is a uh, – like we said at the start, you know, that was the trade-off. The reason Justin is here is because I played him in chess. <laughs> <laughs> that was the deal. Beautiful deal. Beautiful deal. Fair game. We had, we had some good good games. Uh, that second one, I, I'm upset about yeah. myself. But that first game, that was fucking intense, you know? Yeah, yeah, really interesting positions we got in. Absolutely. I had fun with it. Oh, yeah, 100%. And so, so yeah, if you want to contact Justin, you want to play him in chess, he would be more than happy to. Uh, I do not think this is the last time we're going to hear from Justin on this podcast uh, because he has a, a great ability to talk to, to people, to me, I guess. Uh, we, can, we can shoot the shit, all that stuff. So with all that being said, thank you for being here, Justin. We really appreciate it while Zach is away working at the restaurant. And for your information, there is always a final question on this podcast. How do we end the episode? And every single episode ends with a certain song or music that is related to the movie in some way, but we play it in reverse. 
And I have an idea for this already. You know, we can talk about it if you have another idea. But I figured the best way to end this episode on Like Mike is to take the We Playing Basketball song and play that in reverse as our outro. What do you think? I do not think there is any better way we could end this episode. Right? Right? We're playing basketball. That's we, the only way. We playing <laughs> basketball. <laughs> <laughs> I could say it 16 more times, but it would convey the same message. So thank you once again, Justin, for being here. Um, if you have any comments, concerns, uh, once again, like I said with all of our other bonus co-hosts, uh, if you hate them and you want Zach to come back, please send us an email at cinemodities at gmail.com. But I think that you have nothing to worry about, Justin. You've done a fantastic job for sure. Thanks for being here. Hey, it was it was great fun. I appreciate you having me. Definitely forward any hate mail, though, if, if you get it. <laughs> Justin doesn't understand the restaurant. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> So you have the honor of getting to start with that exact intro I gave you. Can you handle it? <laughs> oh, boy. We'll see. We're going to find out. All right. Whenever you're ready. Okay. Kinemodities. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> That'll right. go at the end. I'll put that as an outtake. <laughs> <laughs>